Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. I might create a new game. I looked at creating a game that just had four pockets on. I looked at the table, we started playing it. I went, you know what, I like this. It's a cross between Paul and Snooker. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Morning. You're very welcome along to Tuesday morning, so to be M's Tuesday. Did I get that right? I did think I did. 23rd of May. Very good morning to all of you out there tuning in as uh, per usual in your usual places. So to be M with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back in the Neon Night Edition. Available now. Colin Booby, good morning. Shane, great to have you back. I missed you. I, I missed you too, as always. And Johnny Ward, very good morning to you. How are things? Good morning. What happened yesterday morning? <sighs> Farcical. Go on. It was more so the night before, but um, car car issues. Um, so I, like people think because I'm from Monaghan, uh, uh, you're you're obviously a car man, and because I watch Formula One maybe as well leads into this false narrative of my life. But um, yeah, I was uh, got my car back eventually from my uh, mechanic Finbar shout out yesterday evening in Smithborough, in County Monaghan, and uh, yeah, I had a few issues the night before, so uh, it wasn't fun. Now it's not the damage isn't as bad as I had originally feared, so. Um, you know, he's sitting there telling telling me about different things that that were wrong with it, and it's whew, yeah straight over my head. Uh, I think you're either a car person or you're not. I, I I really love my car and I look after it, but um, yeah, in terms of the specifics and the mechanics of vehicles, I wouldn't be the strongest. I don't know about you lads. I Marion McKeown had an interesting article in the Business Post on Sunday about uh, the car ownership in the states and how. Cars have become a lot more expensive in the States. The average price for a new car in the States now is, give or take, $50,000. Right. And the average age of the car that you own in the States is something like 14 years old. Jeez. Like, old. Um, but it's kind of like a part of... Like, I've I've never driven. Like, I, I used really? to... Uh, no, so I used to... When I was in... Um, before I came to college, when I was, what, 17 and then 18, I would have had a provisional license and I drove at home. But when I came up to Dublin, I was thinking this the other day. Um, so I'm up in Dublin 23 years now. I've never had a car. Right. So it is never in my head. It's like it's like if you've never had a pint, you don't know what you're missing it because, and you just you don't know you don't know what it's like to, to, to not. you never you never have to give up because you don't know it. Like so, it's just it's never come into you. But if if I have an issue in Dublin, like in terms of how I'm going to get to somewhere, it's it's just not in my head. So it's not a problem if that mm. makes sense. I know love I, mean? I love the. The simplicity of having a car. Mm. Simplicity, I say simplicity. When things happen to the car and you have to... It wasn't simple it, yesterday morning. It wasn't simple. And it's not always simple. But it's handy. I love driving. It's, but it's incredibly inefficient when you think about it, right? Because cars, give or take, spend 95% of their time doing nothing, right? Yeah. So how how is how have we allowed this to happen where, like, should we not have a system where you just... You can get a taxi straight away cheaply or you can rent a car cheaply because 95% of the time cars are doing nothing. Like, that, they couldn't get less efficient. Well, the problem is that the public transport from, say, for example, from Monaghan, from where I'm from, isn't fantastic. There's no mm. option for you. Like, I yeah. have to I, I, Can I just bring you through my personal heartbreak yeah. about the whole story? Yeah. Sh- Shane, <laughs> Shane, myself and Jer on Sunday were chatting through, like, very excited about the performance the show, rankings, weren't we? Yeah. And the show in general, yeah. at large. 
everyone was happy out and then I wake up to the a red light emoji mm. which in fairness to you was a great warning about what was to come <laughs> what time was that for, oh, 5.20am and I actually well, I, I actually he sent it when it actually right. happened but of course that's when I saw it yeah, yeah. and I actually stared at it in disbelief for a few seconds thinking I don't actually think this is real <laughs> that's, that's it's, what, not that, the, it's not the same without you that was the purpose of the red light you know, I was like, this, 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 this needs, is pretty serious. Is, an audience needs to see this yeah, immediately. Yeah, this, this is... Uh, and look, we suffered first, you know. No Shane Hannon of a Monday morning. Mm, people, but people thank you, look, we have you back. And not just back, but in the big chair. In the big chair. I mean, what a way to, to, to start the week, lads. Yeah. Well, for me to start my week. Sorry for everyone who's, who's already had the week. Big game last night. Yeah, JP Wright, voice actor, straight in there in the live comments. Newcastle back in the big time. First time in 20 years it's after uh, a 0-0 draw at Leicester last night. Amazing what some Saudi money can do. Well, it's amazing what Eddie Howe can I'm do. I'm only being a little bit. It's facetious. not a great squad on paper. It's not. Eddie Howe has done a fantastic it's job. It's a good team. It's a good squad. Yeah, to get Champions League. I mean, that's yeah. First time since Bobby Robson days. Is it right? Yeah, mm. two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Uh, when they had a really good side. Remember that the Craig Bellamy and Kieran Dyer and Shea Given. Oh yes, and they were all over sure. Leicester, like seventy-seven percent. Destroyed them. It's only like at the end Castagna has the shot and you're like... Destro- it's one of those it. those old games of football manager, championship manager, where you're dominating the opposition. Yeah. Except in the game, Castagna's volley at the end would have gone in and you would have like exited mm. the game without saving it. Because oh, like, yeah. that can't be real. It has to be a glitch <laughs> in the system. Yeah. But Newcastle hit the woodwork three times last night. They've actually hit the woodwork 24 times all season, which is five more than the nearest side. Is it, yeah? Yeah. So imagine uh, how much better they could have been again. Like, they have third... Uh, in their grasp they mm-hmm. could finish fourth it doesn't matter these days because the no. top four automatically qualify back in the day it was top two yeah. and turn fourth had to do a qualifier but um, it's relevant now so hence the celebrations last night but a nil-nil hammering it was mm. for Newcastle mm-hmm. over Leicester and for Leicester you fear for them but it's all very finely poised it for is. the final day of the season half past four oh. kick off this Sunday I love when they all start at the same time half I love the, I love the kind one, of no homework Friday feeling of these last games of the season where it's, it's always sunny yeah, mm. uh, teams wearing their new jerseys. It's all a bit of a laugh. <laughs> Just kind of like a game of Astro. No one's really defending. Yeah, a lot of three twos, four threes. Go for broke. A lot of games you never see. They're like mythical. You never, you never see them once. Like if there's nothing to play for. Like yeah. what's the tenth game on match of the day? <laughs> but there are going to be three brilliant games. Mm. And also, uh, if Manchester United don't get the job, get the job done against uh, Chelsea on Thursday. Yeah. That could also go down to the wire between United and Liverpool for the final Champions League spot. Yeah. But you have it all poised with Everton against Bournemouth, Leicester against West Ham and Leeds against Tottenham. So they're all at home. So Everton 33 points, Leicester yeah. 31 and Leeds 31. So we were just saying this morning, so if Everton, for Everton, even though they're two points ahead of the drop zone, a draw wouldn't necessarily do against Bournemouth because if Leicester were to beat West Ham, their superior goal difference exactly. to keep Leicester in the Premier League so yeah so their goal difference Leicester's minus 18 which is far superior to the other two Everton minus 24 and Leeds were really in trouble minus 27 so Leeds are 19th Leicester 18th Everton 17th Jesus that's going to be tense so who are you back in Deitch I think Everton will stay up look at the size of the playing so Bournemouth nothing to play for but that could help them yeah. They express themselves. West Ham have a cup final coming up, Europa Conference League against mm-hmm. Fiorentina. So they could feel a relatively strong team. It could be competition for who's going to start that yeah. match. So that could be an interesting game. Spurs, you just have no idea what they're going to do. Ah. Having the clue. How can you trust how can you trust Spurs? It does statistically make a huge difference that a team has nothing to play for. It's a massive difference. Even last night, Newcastle like I actually backed Newcastle to win the game last night. I didn't see the game because mm. on a on a flight. It was just like they'll but they didn't need to win the game. 
and yeah. that's ultimately at the end you could see they were kind of like they were happy enough to draw and in the like Leicester's first shot and goal was after about like 85 minutes or something literally yeah. first shot of, of any description um, but the teams that the fact that as Colin says the three teams the opposition have effectively nothing to play for is massively important in the narrative um, it's mad that all those three teams are at home the relegation yeah, teams and they could home. they could all win like they, they, the three of them could all win because it's, it is junk time West Ham are, aren't going to be anywhere near their best like it's mm. simple as that like to be fair, if Leicester and Leeds both win, they still can't and, st- and still go down. That'll only put them to 34 points mm. off the, the magical barrier of, of 40 that does not exist. That, that seems to be the, the the one to keep teams up. But it would be interesting if Leicester and Leeds lost all of a sudden Everton stay up on 33 points. So, you know... I don't mind if Leicester go. I'd rather see Everton stay up. Yeah. I, I, I assume... I'm just going into this assuming Leeds are going to go. I was chatting to a couple of Liverpool fans last week who wanted Everton to stay up. I know there are plenty of Liverpool fans that'll probably uh, enjoy the prospect of Everton being relegated, but I think from a rivalry perspective, like Jamie Carragher said, like, the Irish people. Yeah, see if you're an Irish people, if you're an Irish person, really I don't. Everton was never. I was a Liverpool fan. Everton was never a thing. Before. If you're Scouse, maybe. You're, yeah, you're more, and like, like, uh, Carragher is an Everton fan growing up, like, mm. and he said uh, it would be pretty funny. He said if they got relegated, uh, and that's Carragher saying. How it for, can he say? And that? he said just for a year, and then they come back the following season with the new stadium. And yeah. then they replenish. He said, "If they, if he could guarantee it was only for a year that they were in the championship, he'd take it." But he's so he supported Everton growing up, and yeah. he it'd be funny if they went down. Do you know, it's it's strange as well, like the the Manchester City and Newcastle thing, where you have all this petrol state money. Like, um, I like I, I derive no enjoyment from what Man City are doing. But in fairness, to Newcastle, like Eddie Howe, really hasn't actually splashed that much cash. It's a football mad place. The atmosphere in St James is still amazing, mm. and it's he's done an amazing job. He really has. Like, and where do they go from here now? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, uh, are, very fair. Are they the new power? Like, where, yeah. who finishes? Um, my brother reminded me actually at the weekend that apparently I said Liverpool would struggle to finish in the top four after the Fulham game on day one right um, I don't remember saying that but thanks him because it's probably the only thing I've literally gotten right all season yeah, yeah. where do Liverpool go relative to Newcastle now mm. um, like Newcastle is going to become such an attractive proposition for players like absolutely yeah. Yeah. Eddie Howe is an exceptionally good manager that's the thing and you say like correctly like that Newcastle haven't really splashed the catch too mm. much and neither of Manchester City in recent times the difference is with those two sides versus the other 18 is that they can spend all the money they want to if yeah. they want to mm. if they choose to so they always have that in the back pocket. They can always panic by Rabinho style if they wanted to, but they don't need to. I mean, anyhow, I think he prefers that type of squad, and they could build yeah. on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But those players are all like it. They're actually they have such a such an attractive squad from even from a business point of view for the owners because there's a lot of players there that you could sell on for mm-hmm. decent money if you wanted to make a bit of profit. It's you know it's a decent age squad as well. Yeah, there's a few areas that need to strengthen. Hundred percent. The um, the Bruno Gimarish tackle last night. On Samaria, yes, was, uh, well, it just kind of goes back to the whole um, lack of transparency in the decision making. So he gets you know, a yellow. He gets a yellow. Like, if you look at it technically, like it's it studs onto the knee and it stays there for a split second it's longer than it needs it to. It definitely stayed there. Yeah, and I like it's kind of a red card one on one if you were to do an examine who you know yeah. the players that should get sent off for tackles. I, it goes back to the problem we don't really know why they decide. Mm. Um, certain incidents and like look I'm the biggest purveyor of players need to show way more respect to referees and I hate when players go into refs faces and yeah. like F and blind them out of it on the other side I think refs need to communicate better with players yeah no with the well oh with the VAR well you see if they I like I always compare it to rugby unfavourably in that the communication rugby is fantastic mm. like I look there's still problems 
the odd time with players and refs but generally speaking the ref explains the decision we all hear it yeah. and then the player accepts it even we, if they disagree with it we spoke to Vinnie Perth about this last week in the League of Ireland every week we seem to be talking about refereeing decisions yeah it's not, yeah, it's not that interesting a topic no, either like, do you know what I mean and but it is But it, you're right Like it's like people are obsessed yeah, with it but that mutual respect thing is important because obviously referees and players both swear back at each other in every league yeah. that's just what happens mm. um, but I understand from when you're actually at the stadium you're watching the matches it doesn't make a difference you're not going to be able to hear it anyway yeah um, but I just think there's a long way to go in football between the relationship. Like, there's a lack of trust, mm. which I think is a good example there in that incident where Grimrash could have been sent off and he wasn't, and we're guessing as to why. You'd like to hear the, the next logic. morning. Would you like to hear the logic in, in an NFL sense where the referee presses his little button and speaks to the stadium and tells everyone, holding, yeah. <laughs> uh, not dangerous, yellow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, the referees always seem to be like mid seventies, like really old in the NFL. It's like proper, like yeah, they're really yeah. old school. They've yeah. been there, and you just wait for those boos to come in from the. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's strange in the sense of the last twelve months we've had like the World Cup with what seemed to be like an experiment on extra and at a time, like an absolute experiment, and then you've had a complete change in the way VAR is implemented since sort of the end of last season mm. at the top level, and where. It's kind of strange now because, like, Liverpool had a goal disallowed on Saturday. I watched the game against um, Villa, and um, like, it, it was a, it was a really tough call, and it kind of justified VAR in a sense. But when the goal, when the ball went over the line, like, the, it was like as if the fans were kind of like f- celebrating, but half not celebrating. And it took probably the guts of two minutes for it to be disallowed. And I'm just like, that spontaneity being gone is not fun, really. No, mm-hmm. like, it's just it was. Yeah, I don't know. Suck the joy out of sport in some ways. Mm. But then again, I, look, if they come to the right decision at the end of it, then that's that's fine. JP Wright, voice actor, Shane really needs to work on the American accent. No better man to tell me that. I thought my my, my American accent wasn't wasn't too bad. I, like, I didn't give it my best there. but I'd like to hear some samples from JP Wright. Yeah. Mm. Could you send us in a few? Yeah, 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 100%. Let us know, let us know what I'm doing wrong there. Can you um, add on your point there, Johnny? At the moment, I think Klopp is still a more attractive proposition for most players than Newcastle. Yeah. I, I, how long will that continue we'll talk about Queeve and Keller a bit but yeah. the top rebuild is definitely interesting um, I I didn't expect I actually thought he'd probably I thought he could be gone at this stage or certainly gone at the end of the season but fairness to Liverpool they finished they finished the season well I still think there's so many holes in that team though yeah. so many holes particularly midfield I mean what four players are going three of them are midfielders Um bit of turnover yeah well, it's, it feels like the start of a new era at Liverpool in, in a mm. weird way even though Klopp's still there obviously but but uh, just in terms of the turnover personnel, when you see the likes of Firmino leaving, you're like, this is the end of an era in some mm. senses. You mentioned Grieving Kelleher, Johnny. We might as well mm-hmm. touch on that story because uh, I know Andy Jones is writing about it in The Athletic as well. I-, I couldn't believe when you said this morning, Colin, that like three games this season he's played. Yeah, two in the EFL Cup, one in the FA Cup, and I suppose more appropriately, only 20 competitive games since 2019. That's, that's featured in, isn't it? Like so, and they're mm-hmm. they're competitive games. A lot of them are kind of competitive, but they're competitive with a low C. Like yeah, he's um, yeah, he's 24. Now we look, he had that amazing moment in last season's EFL Cup finals, yeah. mm-hmm. like scoring the winning penalty, uh, which is incredible. What a penalty! Yeah. I mean, like, and he's he's such an interesting background. I mean, a player who played as an outfielder. For quite a long time before mm. he transitioned into a goalkeeper, like for Ringmat and Rangers and Cork, it was only because they were short of someone in goal. Yeah, and uh, he was a goal-scoring forward 
for a club like hence the penalty against Chelsea in yeah, that season's yeah. uh, decider. So the contrast with Pizzuno is so like you, mm. it's so pronounced. Like who wakes up happier this morning? Pizzuno's like we've gotten relegated. My stock has kind of gone down a bit. You'd but, have but to Pizzuno's say. out of the team now. Alex he's out of the team. Yeah. He's like he hasn't played for what four or five games. McCarthy himself hasn't been great either. Like yeah. he wasn't great for Ferguson's no. first goal. No, he wasn't great, yeah. and he gave the ball away prior yeah. to that. Um, but Kelleher's stock has just been kind of static. Where mm. a lot, I honestly don't know how good he is. I, I really couldn't tell that's you. Right, that's what you're saying beforehand. It was like he's kind of like a mythical figure. Isn't mm, he? Like, we just don't have enough sample size of Kelleher. A bit like Shane's car, actually. <laughs> yeah, a mythical figure. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen much of. Yeah, uh, I I don't know Kelleher. Like as we were saying, Klopp uh, was saying recently, it'll take an extraordinary offer to. As recently as last Friday. Yeah. You know, he's not. He's not worth extraordinary money. It's not. It's a, the, but, like the, it's not there for Kelleher to what worth does he a lot of money. Extraordinary. He's like, played twenty games since 20, since what twenty nineteen. Yeah. What, what has he done to ex- suggest that he's worth extraordinary well, money? As Kathleen pointed out beforehand as well, like that quote could be very deliberate by Klopp saying it will take an extraordinary offer. I.e., he is for sale. So mm. if you mm. want to pay for him, but then as Emma pointed out beforehand, it's very tough to get a quality backup goalkeeper. Yeah. Who is willing to stay there and learn from a world class goalkeeper? It's different to the likes of, say, Manchester United, who have Jack Butland, who's an older, more veteran goalkeeper as the number two. Probably quite happy at this st- stage of his career to get the odd game. Keller's 24, like. Mm. It just goes, like, yeah, I mean, do you really need a quality second goalkeeper? Like, Neil Warnock used to be a big man for having no goalkeeper on the bench. Phil Jagoilke used to be going in the sticks mm. uh, for that's Sheffield that's United. Too far the other it's way, too far the other way. But, it, like, you're never really going to hit that sweet spot of having an absolute quality, proven goalkeeper who's on the bench for the entire season who's more than happy to do so is still motivated not just by the money but the opportunity and that's why the Queeving Kelleher's of the world are so rare mm. but like by any metric what's he worth like if Liverpool are in a bargaining position it's impossible to say in this day and age you don't know like is he worth 20 million if he went for 10 I wouldn't be surprised yeah, and if he I went wouldn't. for 35 I'd be like yeah fair enough because you're, you're, maybe you're buying the potential like he's 24 but which a goalkeeper can't, can't be younger but you, you can't pay 35 million for a goalkeeper like what has he actually done like I'm only, I'm only he's saying 20 million. Moments. He's only 20 million because of his age profile. He's 24. Mm, and that's young, still young to be a keeper. Uh, yeah, but you don't just uh, splash the cash because a player's young. Like, he has proven he's shown it a in big bit. games as well. In the very, uh, admittedly, few ga- big games that he's played for Liverpool. But even for Ireland as well. Like we've he's seen really good with the ball at his feet. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, the one thing with the, the Liverpool situation, I've always defended Keller, I think, in terms of his development, being coached at Liverpool must be so good for his development. And I know he hasn't been in that many pressure situations, but he's probably developed into a very good keeper particularly with the ball on the ground like he's better than Bazuna 100% better than Bazuna with the ball at his feet mm. um, and that's massive like so he has all that going forward he has the you know the confidence of Jurgen Klopp and he has the confidence of Jurgen Klopp I just don't know how good he is I honestly don't because I've seen like, well so we do I, have a little we do have a little bit of uh, you mentioned a few Cup. examples yeah. yeah the League Cup but also like I've seen moments where he's he's very kind of he's very solid and actually don't and I you do remember that, one I do that as a compliment because actually. you don't say say that much about modern goalkeepers he's solid. in that he's his handling is actually very good. Do, do you remember one like remarkable save he's made for Ireland? Yes, but that's what I mean. I, I don't I, think actually, I, I don't know, think he's been called. No, into but it. I think his anticipation is such that he doesn't mm. need to make remarkable saves. You know, like I say, a modern goalkeeper now. Cross to come into the box. Yeah. Fits to the way. Could easily catch it. Fits to the way. Now that itself mm. is effective because you're boot, mm. you know fits in the ball up forty yards up the pitch. Mm. But Kelleher. There's a different style to him where I suppose it's kind of GA related a bit in that he's catching the ball very solidly yeah. and doesn't need to do anything extraordinary, which kind of seems to match his personality and demeanour. Very calm, 
gives very little away. Well, I said it after. It's typical for a goalkeeper. It is. Mm. I was at the. I was behind that goal when Ireland beat Latvia three two in that friendly where Quiving played mm. uh, recently, just before the French game. And like, I don't think Quiving could have done anything about the Latvia goal. Certainly, one of them was a screamer. One was a deflection. Ah, but I remember yeah. his footwork. His footwork wasn't great for the screamer. Yeah. He, mm. he he didn't get over fast enough. Mm. I think he went to his wrong hand as well. Mm. Oh, mm. You know, me saying the, as the expert, like, but it looked like you know he could have gone yeah. with his, his nearer hand. My, my issue with Quivey that day from watching him behind the goal in the first half was that there wasn't much in terms of communication. Yeah, he wasn't as yeah. vocal as I'd I'd like a goalkeeper to be. Mm. All right, even in Sunday League level, you you want a goalkeeper who's mm. who's annoying you like annoying you, yeah, wrecking your head. Oh, you don't. Mm. Oh well, not sorry, but, I, but those goal, I, those keepers. You don't, you don't want it, but them, it's yeah. no, it's helpful. It actually like, helps. As long as I think it helps if you're. A it depends what they're saying, but yeah. True, yeah. yeah. The, the other thing you should say is like he's been very unlucky that Allison hasn't been unlucky. If that makes yeah. sense, Kelleher could, by the grace of whatever you believe in, had a lot longer run of games, and Klopp, I think, would have entrusted him. He would have. Mm. So he was probably gambling on. I have. I'm going to get a really good chance here. Didn't quite happen for him, but he, I think he does need to go now. I really he do. He probably think. was gambling on, on Allison having a poor season or a mm. few mistakes, but he's. Arguably been Liverpool's player this season. Allison, Allison's had ropey spells at Liverpool, but this season he hasn't. Like he lost yeah. his dad as well, and he came through that. And this season he's been outstanding, like um, in a very, very ropey defence at times. Put it this way: if Allison was to leave Liverpool suddenly, I don't think Klopp would make Kelleher the number one. Yeah. I still think he I don't. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, with that, and if yeah. that's the case, then he does need to go. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But his education has been phenomenal. Yeah, thanks for one of the best managers, and you're under one of the best goalkeepers. Yeah, but concerning. I suppose he has to graduate at some point. See when he decides to leave. If he decides to leave, that's what that's the the purpose of that uh, piece in the Athletic, by the way. That Quiven Keller appears himself ready to move, albeit Klopp saying that. So, sorry, you mentioned. You imagine when he like. You imagine when he signed that deal, there's some understanding with Liverpool that they're not going to stand in his way if he gets whatever Klopp says. Yeah. I mean, let's be a little bit fair to the player here. He's been a good servant. He hasn't jumped ship. He's been a loyal player who hasn't been playing. And if somebody comes in, I mean... Brighton seems to be one of the teams that yeah. just near mentioned. Um, Pretty cool. Yeah. Just like, you know, the, the Brighton Irish Revolution and all that. Shout here on YouTube, uh, Kenny the Dad suggesting Nottingham Forest is an option for Queeving Kelleher if uh, Cater Navis moves on. Which he might do. Possibly, yeah. Um, and was it Brian here as well in the comments? Uh, Bazuno's stock has tanked big summer for Kelleher's Ireland prospects. Bazuno and Kelleher, like, there'll be, you know, brothers in all of this. Yeah, yeah. Because they're both having a pair enough time. Zuantanehu. Oh, uh, I lo- that's the Shawshank Redemption reference. Mm, that's what they'll do, you know. Gavin will be from. like, I'll see, I'll see you there. Queevee will be coming up with a bag. Be like, Gavin. I'll <laughs> come back again. Red is somehow That's the place in Mexico where they, they decided yeah. to meet on yeah, yeah. the beach. You know, I was wondering about that. It is a bizarre right? analogy. You know, you know, I know I wondered about that. <laughs> that scene. He says it once to him. Yeah. Once only. And he still remembers. And you're it's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that, but, yeah. Sorry, he said it once only. We, we see in the movie. They don't show everything in the movie. <laughs> no, so there's we, loads we, of moments let, where they talk in the movie that we don't <laughs> see. Like. Let's assume. I mean, they're, they're, they're in jail for about like three decades together. They, it's a two-hour movie or whatever it is. Like. You've got say, a point. Say what's an Yeah. <laughs> it begins with Z as well. Like, so... Very I, I, that that's is a bizarre. That's what they'll be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but no, they'll be they'll be united there. Well, the, no, well, stick with which it. Which beach is it? Betty's time. What what beach will it? Is there? What's the, what's the Z Watanehu for? Stick with it. For Ireland. <laughs> what? what beach are Bazunu and Keller going to be? I don't know. This is this is we've gone too far. Maybe. Um, but they'll eventually. be I love like, God, what, what a ride that oh, was. Yeah. It's what a, a ride that it's, was. It's a good little uh, documentary. You know, the two of them meeting together on. Isn't the beach. it? Yeah. It's the Sexton and uh, Raj of uh, the football era. Yeah. One of them's on a boat wave and like. Yeah. In the end you know this. What I'm talking about here, the the Sexton documentary. 
about 10 years ago when they their time in France coincided and they had to carpool into training. Excellent, Raj. Sex and a Raj. Oh, yeah. And they became yeah, buddies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying, by the way, that Bazuno and Keller aren't friends. I'm sure they are. You know. well, it's also Ireland. Like, it's, with all due respect, it's your, you know, it's, you're playing sporadically for your country. You're playing for your club. It's true. Every week. And Keller has had, he has had Irish opportunities, like. Yeah. Um, say what to Neo. Yeah, what a reference. Yeah. Uh, anyone let us know what's your favourite uh, quote from Shawshank Redemption? What's your favourite scene? Oh, we'll be here all day. It's, oh, well, it's every GA player in the country's <laughs> favourite favorite movie. <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to comment on that. That uh, makes, that actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no comments. <laughs> you're 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 supposed to be the overseer yeah, of the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, it's an inside joke. The uh, the Ireland women's national team uh, are going to play their first ever game at the Aviva Stadium. This was announced yesterday as well against Northern Ireland. So this is the opening UEFA Nations League game, Group B one. This is going to be on Saturday, twenty third of September, one o'clock kickoff. So it's the first game after the World Cup yeah. uh, in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, of course, they've go those friendlies at Tallis Stadium against France and Zambia before the World Cup. Um, I mean, it's exciting. Uh, good that the Irish women's national team are getting the opportunity to play in the Aviva Stadium. I think they're going to have one of the tiers open, possibly. Um, an earlier kickoff to bring more fans down from, from Northern Ireland as well for it. It could get a decent crowd. Mm. Um, especially, it'll probably be dependent as well. They're probably leaning into the, the World Cup and that post-World Cup good, feel, good feels, hopefully. Um, to get a decent crowd but yeah Ireland Zambia 22nd of June and then Ireland France on the 6th of July France 5th in the world ranking so those are the two games yeah it's uh, it's such a shame well it's a, it's a little bit of a shame that those two games or at least the France game before the World Cup isn't at the Aviva Stadium but look Tala's yeah. been very good to the Irish team and like there'll still be a huge crowd at both Zambia and France games but like you say they're 5th in the world France it'll be great to kind of attract mm. a big crowd at the Aviva one last send off before they fly to the other side of the world and yeah and start their inaugural World Cup campaign. But look, it's something also to look forward to at the other side of the World Cup because, let's be positive here, it could be a very good World Cup for Ireland. Which would. And the homecoming then against Northern Ireland, First Nations League game at the Aviva Stadium. Something to look forward to in September. Yeah, get a bit of an atmosphere. I I think um, both like Vera and Stephen Kenny, just in terms of timing and the the games Ireland have next month, it is quite complex. Like when you've, lads who finished the season some of them are mentally finished the season like for a few weeks and then they have to prep for this game in intense Greek heat probably like do you know yeah. what I mean and it's like even though they're in Greece in, in their own mind they're like I want to go on holidays now I've had a, players have had ridiculous ridiculous rosters now I want to have my holidays I want to get off yet Kenny has to kind of keep them in a in a happy place for what's a massive massive game like. yeah. and with Vera Pau as well the timing coming out of the season we spoke about this like coming into the World Cup it's very very difficult like and if if you look at things in hindsight afterwards you'll say well that would have been that would have been something that's really hard to manage like so mm. especially going down to Australia as well should mention that uh, that uh, International against the North uh, will be touched on in the Koi Gig pod which is out this morning there's also an exclusive interview very exciting this by the way with the WSL Player of the Year nominee Manchester United's Ona Batiai which uh, is really really pertinent at the moment because trying to decipher whether she'll end up at Manchester United or Barcelona or somewhere else next season so certainly an interview that a lot of people are looking forward to so the Koi Gig pod out this morning in all the usual places maybe she'll end up in the what's an ale well, you, someone, you never uh, know. someone here suggested is Mark Travers the prison warden JP is on the farm here what the oh, prison warden yeah. um, warden he sneaks it I remember well, the, the scene where warden. Andy Dufresne sneaks into the office and plays the song yeah so like Keller mm. would sneak into the office and play You'll Never Walk Alone or something off the speakers it'd be more of a bazuno thing to do maybe a bazuno thing to do yeah <laughs> and like if you if you I don't know if the three of them had some sort of challenge like the um the, the the guy who had to you know who forfeited or who lost would have to just 
go through like a hell of a mound of uh, SHIT yeah. for like a long yeah. time. Clean, clean on the other side. Yeah. So I don't know how he built that tunnel. It's pretty incredible. Started off. With I, I know it is incredible. I mean, it's borderline unbelievable that you'd be able to do that. I almost say it's unbelievable. You almost say it's. Like it's so fiction. clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's a. Mo- I remember when I was like used to get, collect match programs as a kid, and like you'd have a Q and A with the player of you know whoever it was. Your what's your favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption must have been. I'd say about sixty six percent of the answers. Like I know, and like it's very predictable, but it, it's it's outstanding. It's a boring answer, but it's a brilliant, it brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one more there, John Daly, full time appointment. Yeah, like it's it's strange the way things work. John Daly was brought in by Tim Clancy. Um, with a view to being his assistant, but also John Daly would have would have told him, Clancy, I want to be a, I want to be a full time manager, um, but not at St Pat's. I mean, mm. you know, but I suppose it's an unwritten understanding because I made this point there. There are a lot of exciting young managers in the League of Ireland, but they can't all succeed because there literally just isn't the options for them to succeed. You have four places in Europe, um, you have one team winning the league, yet you have all these clubs kind of battling for that. And Tim Clancy was sort of the first. Colin Healy's gone as well, but Tim Clancy was the first sort of casualty. Um, it was interesting. I spoke to John Daly after the Shamrock Rovers game last week, where he he, he made the point that um, Pat sort of let Clancy go, or mm. you know, whereas it was supposed to be mutual, and apparently they did kind of have a conversation. Right. But the, you know, we'll we'll figure out more down the line what actually happened there. But I I know past managers have found the club not the most straightforward to work at that's definitely true but John Daly has gone in there now with his eyes wide open he knows how the club works he knows the potential of it great crowds at Pats um, you know it's in Dublin um, they, there's a great vibe around the club I think their training facilities are good um, and I watched them against Rovers last week they were really really good for much of the game and I think John's family is still living in the UK I think Right. so he spent time in Sweden and the UK with a view to this um, he's, a, he's a hard enough guy to to really get a handle on I've only spoken to him a couple of times very very mannerly nice guy um, quite intense I think and it was interesting he like after the loss to Rovers he called out one of the defenders like by name Right, which I think is interesting because that that's kind of an Eddie no no for me. So he's not yeah. he's not afraid to take any crap. But the players seem to have bought into him at a very early stage, and um, I, I wish him the best. Um, big big job, and yeah, he's gone in with his wi- his eyes wide open anyway. But but like you see, I mean th- that some of the young players Pat's to bring into are outstanding quality. Like should be in England except for Brexit, mm. and that's a fascinating aspect of it as well. Will Derry win the league? I think Sean Groves will win the league, but Derry have made it interesting. Um, they've had a couple of injuries, serious injuries, um, that have curtailed them. But I, I mean, this is—I back Sean Groves to beat uh, Drogheda on Friday. Drogheda had two points from their last twenty-one. Drogheda beat them like, um, and you see in this league that. The, the, you can't take your foot off the gas. Rovers were very good against Pats, won on, on Monday, and then lost at home to Drogheda, who are effectively relegation candidates. So it's a tough league. I think Rovers have the quality, though, and the squad and the know-how, um, but it's a two-horse race. Uh, before we finish up, uh, we'll, mo- we'll be moving to James Tracy and the, the Leinster reaction from the, the Heineken Champions Cup final defeat to La Rochelle at the weekend. But I did want to mention a bit of cycling. I know Shifty Lad in the comments was asking about the, the Giro. Um, Eddie Dunbar, by the way, Corkman. And they're all they're all from down the court now. Call them the, the great cyclist. Uh, currently in eighth place in the Giro, so he's only three minutes and forty seconds behind the French race leader Bruno Amirai. So the three-week Giro heading into the final six days from today, 
Lucky to become only the third Irishman to finish in the top ten in the Giro after Stephen Roach won of the course in, in 87. Dan Martin took tenth a couple of years ago. Um, so it's it's really, really heating up in the Giro d'Italia. One of those sports cycling that hasn't got as much probably probably publicity in the last couple of weeks as, as it could have. Ben Healy won the stage last week. I was watching the, the Ross Halton live in Monaghan coming in. Uh, there, was, there was an unbelievable buzz in Monaghan lads the weekend for the Ross yeah. Halton. And I, I, it had almost gone under the radar for me. I mm. forgot that it was coming in. Um, and it was the second last stage, and like that's where you really were. This whole <laughs> yeah, time. yeah. Well, actually, it was, hung it, on. it was Saturday. It was yeah, Saturday. But you, hung on. <laughs> you hung on. This pre the best bits. pre uh, car disaster. But and again from Cork, Dylan Corkery, a twenty four year old from from Bantir in County Cork, went into the, the final stage in seventh overall, nineteen seconds down on the overnight leader, Conor McGoldrick ends up winning. Um, I was keeping an eye out for James McInerney from Cartman Cross, the Monaghan cyclist from Winalti uh, Cycling Club. But to see what the the marshals do, the, like the the safety and the speed that they're going past. Darren McKenna from the MBVL Cycling Club looking after the safety of the marshals and, and riders. Um, I, I was buzzing mm. watching it. Like the it's, speed it's, these lads go past you. It's it's, pheno- it's phenomenal, and like I think the the one thing that was great of the lockdown was that so many people took up cycling and yeah, uh, yeah. it's become um, Ireland has massive advantages when it comes to cycling that people don't understand well, the um, hills are just the hills yeah like back. from like even say where I live now you're at the bottom of a really really nice climb in, in about 4 or 5k mm. the one negative of Ireland is it's quite windy but yeah. other than that the conditions are excellent and um, it's become a really really cool thing now like um, I think we we, we could become I think a lot of young Irish cyclists are going to be born out of the last sort of few years. Cycling mecca. Yeah, and uh, like it's, we, we definitely underappreciate the, and then the scenery and all that and the quality of the roads around the country and that like, um, and then obviously you have Strava as well to compare yourself to your mate or whatever. It's in uh, Tour de France 1998. Oh, mm, yeah. childhood memory. Mm. So I was laughing there, Tender Chicken 56 in the YouTube comments. Ketter, get busy living, get busy dying on the bench in Liverpool. Ah, yes. That's, well, that is the great quote, isn't it? Why did you bring in Zay Watanayo, by the way? <laughs> it was a great... It was a great head. Your head. Fantastic. My head. A to Z. <laughs> well, we'll move on. We'll move on. Three minutes <laughs> past the eight. Loads. Thing too. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where that reference came from, but I absolutely am here for it. Uh, we will talk uh, Brighton and Evan Ferguson later on the show. Andy Naylor around 8.25 as well. We'll have the sports news. We'll have Gronja Walsh, the Irish boxer, uh, who's over in Poland at the moment. She'll be reflecting on Katie Taylor's win. Uh, sorry, defeat at the weekend. Oh. Um, I just so naturally oh, say Katie Taylor's win. win so much. Well, yeah. it's usually what I'm saying. Um, so On Katie be- Taylor, by the way, very brief. Like Katie Taylor usurping Sam Bennett for the Sports Person of the Year that year. Yeah, just shows where how people are so utterly ridiculously blinkered by the power of say women's boxing versus professional cycling, which is insanely difficult. And he won what like. He won. He was his top sprinter in three. He was. The t- he got he won the green jersey in the Tour de France. Possibly won. He had an amazing, amazing year. Anyway, wouldn't have fancied. And that he year. just because it was cycling, people didn't appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that'll change. Sure. Uh, George Docker as well, the Irish cricketer, will be on the show around ten past nine as well, talking mental health supports in cricket. Uh, don't miss all the action in rugby daily today in your OTB podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all a partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals, so open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo food, we get it. After the break, James Tracy live in studio. James Tracy's in studio. He doesn't sound like a robot either. Good morning, James. You couldn't, you couldn't hear that, by the way, but the ad break was just, uh, all sounded like a robot, so it wasn't great. Mm. Uh, how are you feeling? You're, you're a couple of days out now. Has it all kind uh, of... It definitely hurts, but uh, I think objectively you look at it and it was, uh, it was an incredible final. Um, like talked about it, hoping it lived up to 
the, the quality of players that hype, were going to be on yeah. the field and the hype and and uh, and it really did. I think there was like the you know it was a lot of uh, of spice in the occasion. The the quality of, of rugby was off the charts and um, just unfortunately, I think everyone would have enjoyed it unless you're a Leinster fan because we just come out the wrong side of it. It's so funny because the margins are so tight. Like, were you surprised by the tactics towards the end not to? Not to not go for the drop goal, but I mean, they had those number of minutes where they probably, I'm sure, prepped for that potential scenario where you're a point down or a couple of points down with a few minutes left. But clearly they felt like they had the time to maybe wind down the clock a little bit and go for the try. Yeah, I, I back it 100%. And I think um, full credit to to both, uh, to Josh and to um, to uh, the sub-hooker for Slavi. Um, he... But like like so, Josh, it's championship minutes to win the European Cup, and he nails the throw top of the jump, and you know, and they get in within a few meters, and and listen, full credit to to Darshall, um, the defender for their lives, and and uh, you know there was even an opportunity on the short side with um, I think it was Baird and um, Gibson Park, but again, it's a, it's the attention to detail that um, the top teams have of. The disruption and it was skeleton in that ruck and it was taking uh, Johnson had to hit, had to hit the ruck because he was counter ruck and he was taking about three lads um, to stop him and uh, and and that's the difference you know if he doesn't put that ruck pressure on Johnson sees that uh, that blind side and and it's a whole different kettle of fish and and uh, you know in terms of the the kick like there was a lot of time he could see spent uh, you know because there was a player leaving the field or whatever um, you can see Ross testing the wind um, and clearly he knows his own range he's kicked in that field um, I don't know how many games so um, back to decision 100% and uh, unfortunately it's one of those ones where if you score you're a genius if you don't yeah, yeah. but um, listen full full credit to to La Rochelle they were showed incredible resilience I, I think to to go 17 points down and, and without even throwing a shot in a final and um, just to keep their cool and and, uh, it, and it really in those championship minutes at the end of the first half um, and in the last kind of 10 minutes of the of the, the end of the game to uh, to come up with two huge scores I think uh, showed the that's why they're uh, you know double champs mm. are, are teams kind of um is it kind of part of the makeup of possibilities to do the drop goal now compared to other years where like the, you have so many bonus points now and it's it's kind of gone out of the game to a large extent? <clears throat> you think back to Michael Kiernan compared to now where like a drop of goal wins you the game, whereas now it's like you rarely enough see it actually in games. Uh, yeah, so like my my take on, on the, the drop goal scenario was so it was never... They were always, they almost, almost scored every single time they carried. So mm. it wasn't as if you know, okay, let's keep. We're not getting anywhere here. Just build it closer to the posts, and we'll dink it over. It was like every time they came open, um, there was a big opportunity on on the blind side, and they almost scored again. So it was like almost, you know, you're in the moment. You're, you're not, uh, you're not thinking. Okay, there was no moment where it was like, okay, we're not going to score here. Let's just set up the drop goal. Yeah. I never, that just never happened. And before you knew it. The moment was gone, and uh, you know, like a couple of centimeters higher or lower in in a clear out, um, and it's a different story. It's a scrum, you know, and and I'd, I'd back back Lancer to score off that scrum. Um, and listen, 
that's that's the you know fair play to them. You have to take your hat off to them. Like yeah. they were like under the pump, and uh, and they showed up, and it still wasn't done. They had two lineouts to nail both of those to the tail um, shows incredible bottle, and as well calling it to the tail when you know it's it's it, the game's on the line. You're winning by a point. It, you know you're twenty thirty meters out from your own line. And uh, there was air pressure there as well. You know, it was uh, Ross Maloney was was right up in the air. So unless they were top of the jump, mm. uh, they weren't winning the line out. So um, uh, listen, you just have to to admire their um, their steel and guts. And and um, and again, you know, I talked uh, before about and loads of people talk about nailing the basics, and that's it. It's like you know, your your throwing, your lift, your jump, the timing, the call. Yeah. You know, at every level, that you know that that's. Uh, that's applicable and when it matters most you got to nail it and they did um, so fair play to them yeah and that, as you say that, that try just poor half times felt like the turning point in some ways that just maybe gave La Rochelle a little bit of hope at half time where they're only maybe nine points down um, like that that start by Leinster <clears> like the, especially the Dan Sheehan try early on uh, when you get, get to 17-0 I heard yourself and Quinny chatting to John after the match in the Aviva and like was it just that Leinster were mentally exhausted at the the prospect of being so far ahead of La Rochelle that this this game is is not won, but Jesus, seventeen point lead has never been lost in a Heineken Champions Cup final. So, was it a psychological thing that maybe they were thinking, okay, well, we've done a lot of the effort now, we can we can pull back a bit, or was it just a case of they were they were out in their feet because of the level of exhaustion it took to get to that lead? I I felt when both teams came out, they were spent. I felt like it yeah. was such an intense first half uh, that. Both teams really looked tired, mm. um, but at the same time, I don't think that was you know it wasn't one been more tired. I think La Rochelle are an exceptional team. I think they were always going to have purple patches. Yeah, um, and in fairness, you know there was a lot of like really really important turnovers. I think Charlie Natai at one point you had uh, Dan Sheen in the corner. You had Josh Van der Fleer with multiple uh, kind of mall turnovers. Um, but they were relentless in coming back. Every time we cleared the ball, uh, they were they were we didn't you know they were putting kick pressure on. We weren't getting amazing exits. Then all of a sudden we're back under the cosh again, and you're dealing with these like unbelievably big, uh, powerful ball carriers. And and that you know we we like all of us knew that was going to be the case. Lancer would have known that was going to be the case. And uh, you know they did a great job of uh, of you know. Starting the game and, and sucker punching them with with a few early tries, um, that were you know unbelievably well executed. But they were always going to have a period of scoring, and you know uh, the the frustrating part is you're the you know breath of wind or uh, you know a few inches off in a clear out or off of you know yeah. been the champions and everyone's going on about how great you are. But again, it's like I can't explain uh, you know how 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 much I respect the how hard it would have been to go into that changing room after I'd like been uh, pummeled for the first kind of 20 minutes um, you know and they had two opportunities really and they took both of them uh, you know like Dante's first try was just like incredible like power of the man you know like uh, absolutely huge and you got to give credit to Doolan as well like uh, he goes in scrum half 
and like that's not an easy scenario when you're on the right side of the pitch because you're most likely going to have to play open so you've got the opposition scrum half beside you and you're coming back this way yeah, yeah. so it's way more pressure than if you're on the other side at least you get to, to kind of hide behind the number 8 and play out so like all these little things of like that's not just uh, you know an easy thing to do when it matters when it, the chips are down um, so you have to give full respect uh, to to all the, the, the La Rochelle players when it came to execute little things that were even outside of their, their job that, mm. that it, they did it when it mattered we'll get into some of the intricacies of, of the performance but there was so much like even after the match the, the different narratives off the pitch that had happened even at half time uh, the reports that Sean O'Brien had been standing there kind of almost to, to block Ron Nagara's access to the referee like happened uh, apparently in, in, in the previous final last year you had Ron Nagara after the game saying that, you know, La Rochelle retreated as the little team um, and then the pre-match toss incident I guess if you want to call it that as well so James Ryan accused of disrespecting La Rochelle during the coin toss so Gregory Aldrich had said from the toss already we were not respected and that should not be done there are a lot of values in our club and respect is part of it and then Raj uh, backed that up and said yeah I got word of it down in the pitch Obviously, I have a close relationship with my captain, a bizarre action when they were going for the toss. I originally thought that <clears throat> James Ryan had been accused of avoiding eye contact, but then Aldrin, I think, afterwards had said he had eyeballed him, so he'd done the opposite, and he'd <laughs> given him maybe too much eye contact. But that, that sort of thing, I guess, is part and parcel of top-level sport that maybe team you know, players or captains are trying to get in each other's heads before a match. It's, it's marginal gain stuff. I've never... Um, uh, I've never heard of anything like it before, but um, listen, it's how he felt. So, uh, yeah, listen, uh, that sort of stuff, you know, like at the end of the day, it's all um, it's all just lip service. Like the, it's irrelevant at the end of it. Yeah, like it's, it's what happens on the field is, is the main thing. And, and uh, you know, it's like it's, it's exciting to talk about. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, in fairness... All that mattered on the day was what happened on the field, and, and uh, you know, talking about James Ryan, I thought for his uh, 29 minutes that he played, he was unbelievable. You know, he, he, he yeah, he was he was a big, but he's a, he, you lose your captain. You know, if they lost uh, Aldrich, like he, yeah. it would have been a huge loss for them. So there's no denying it. But um, I don't think like it was a, as if. Jenkins didn't do well when he came on. I thought thought he did decently well, but you know, James is probably in the uh, in the form that he was when he burst onto the scene again. Um, except he's bulkier and he's more physical. Um, so it's just a shame that that he didn't get the opportunity to to see out the game. And like you never know, he he came up with a huge turnover uh, early on when. Um, just prior actually to Dante's try, um, La Rochelle have a have a line out in the corner and, and set up a mall on Skelton um and James uh, Ryan breaks through the, the front seam, comes up with a huge deal and uh, unfortunately we, we knock it on instead of exiting. Um and they were the kind of the, the, the little things that uh that kinda of helped or hurt us uh in the end where it was every time we, we do something good we'd follow with it with a a mistake. Not every time but uh you know at, at a couple of important times we'd come up with a huge turnover um and yeah, we'd follow it with a mistake, and, and you just can't keep giving the teams as good as uh, as La Rochelle access without they're they're going to score. Um, they they convert too many to to give them that sort of territory, and and uh, yeah, listen, as I said, Dylan did exceptionally well, and uh, like dealing with the pressure of of being nine and the pre- or Jamson giving them. Mm. A bit uh, off the back of the scrum, and, and uh, Dante finishes it unbelievably well. And um, 
listen, that's that's all she wrote. I don't want to dwell on the on the off pitch stuff, um, but it is an art, as you say, interesting to talk about, um, and, and and it leads us. It's it's stuff that we don't, as members of the public, even think about before the game because we're not involved in high level sport to that degree so we don't see this sort of thing and we don't think about it maybe to an extent um, but even the, the, the comments from um, Roger after the match that little team comment that I said um, so he says I think we're in Lansdowne Rugby Club we couldn't get a room in this place it's disappointing on that front but we've got to accept that we're seen as the little team but that's about to change Could can you what did you think of, of Raj after the game talking about Leinster and the little team stuff and the, the eyeballing and, and the I guess the off pitch stuff that's how he feels clearly you know and um, you know, I know Leinster were in the RDS because uh, it's the Aviva and the EPRC who decide the post-match function stuff and uh, they wouldn't have rooms big enough for either of them but um, like listen that's how he feels so like he's entitled to say what he wants to say and, and uh, he was clearly very uh, passionate about a few different things but I know from from, uh, from our end there you know they were the championship team coming over here. Um, there was no little team. Like little and La Rochelle don't go in the same sentence, I don't think, in a lot of people's minds. <laughs> but, um, yeah, listen, that's, that's how he feels. And, and um, listen, he's the two-time champion now, so say what he wants. <laughs> where, where does he rank in terms of Irish coaches already and what he's achieved already? Like, Oh, he's clearly he's an incredible coach and he was an incredible player as well and, and um like you can hear from the the interviews post game from the players that uh like they're unbelievably bought into to the culture that he's uh he's curated in in La Rochelle. So um How difficult is that in a foreign country as well where like it's not even your natural language that you're you know, you're trying to see at half time, what do I say to these lads? <clears throat> I've no, I've, I've no experience in it, but mm. uh, you know, I can imagine the um, all the different cultures, um, the different language, like so many things, like variables there that would that would make it very, very, very difficult. So, like, it's a testament to him and his coaching staff of, of what a job he's done, and um, I think you know even his. Um, he focuses on, you know, we talking to the French media back in French out of respect. It's it's uh, it's his attention to detail in those little things that I'd say um, would build kind of admiration and respect from from his player group. And and the fact he clearly, you know, he really cares about them, and and that's the sign of any good coach I've ever had. Is you know they actually it's not contrived like yeah exactly, yeah. and and you, you you feel that you, you know you know the difference between mm. um, a coach that actually you know you go to war for them. Um, a coach that actually cares for you and, and gets the, the group galvanised and he's, he seems to have clearly done that um, We might touch on some of the, the positives I guess from, from Leinster's perspective which we should because as we say look this is this is sport and, and there was only a kick of the ball between the two teams at the end uh, same as last year you know, we could be talking so easily about Leinster being back to back Champions Cup champions um, the guy at Ringrose at one point he's, he's, he's shouting breathe and you, you can quite clearly see it in the television and Robbie Henshaw was probably one of Leinster's most impressive outlets at different points and I suppose the loss of him possibly impacted Ringrose as well so we're talking about the loss of, of James Ryan but Henshaw as well was, was so crucial to everything good that Leinster were doing Yeah, he was unbelievable like I think uh, I think it was Audrey who got him out of the match like uh, Satini like he probably had two of the biggest moments in the game um, that, that try before half time and the line break at the start of the second half that got them uh, like they're 
momentum right back going again for mm-hmm. them you know that's, that's kind of like when you've gone in for Leinster it was like they needed to score first and or needed to have the first kind of like big moment yeah um, but Robbie and uh, like Dan Sheehan uh, Josh van der Fleer like uh, Caelan Doris you could pick like five or six players on the on the Leinster side that had like you know like nine out of ten ten yeah. out of ten performances but you had the same on, on the on the La Rochelle side and and, uh, and they just as I said took took their opportunities very well and, and there was a you know a point in it at the end and uh, yeah just sickening to be on the on the wrong side of it but on the flip side what an amazing comeback and, and uh, they deserve all the plaudits they're getting even the, the clever lineouts from Leinster's perspective as well like that that as we mentioned the Dan Sheehan try early on just wrong footed La Rochelle straight away and I think Raj even said after the match he said we would have been so proud of that try if it had been us that, that had come up with that you know yeah. um, Andrew Goodman's fingerprints probably on top of a lot of those those things as well just there's little special teams moves I guess from Leinster in the match early on especially where like this is brilliant stuff yeah, it's a combination of of uh, Ross Maloney. Um, it'd be Rob McBride. It'd be Andrew Goodman. Mm. Um, you know, it all uh, have put their own flavour on on different ideas and um, hashed them all out. And, and listen again, it's it's uh, it's executing it when it matters. So uh, it was an incredible try and, and Jack Conan's timing going through and and um, yeah, Dan's he's uh, he's like a like a winger as well as a, a hooker in, in terms of his pace and his power so um, I thought he finished his, his second try even better uh, like the pass from Gibson Parks obviously unbelievable um, but he still has a lot to do there and, and he's got, he's got uh, I think it's Rule and, and Audrey and Bougary closing on him <laughs> uh, you know but the, the point being like they're quick guys to get to you so you've got to be quick to get to the line for the corner because they, they've got the angle on you and um yeah, he just finished it, finished it unbelievably well, uh, and he's such an asset to have for for Leinster in Ireland. Um, having him, you know, on the edge, it's literally like having a giant winger. Could he could he change like how young people look at? You know, could I end up in this position? Because look at him, like I mean, I don't know, if you, I don't know if you could end up there. <laughs> <laughs> Not me or you, Johnny. The royal we. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mad though. Like it's like he's so quick. Like it's like. Yeah, and like so, in terms of like numbers, he'd be probably in like the top like six percent of the group, wow. uh, including backs of, yeah. of of pace. So you're talking like proper proper top end speed. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I, uh, from from when I even started the game and uh, to now is like the the kids coming out of out of uh, rugby clubs and out of school are just at a different level because the. The emphasis and the pathway of, of what it takes to to uh, become a pro and and the the extra work you have to do and all the different things and also the environment it's like the kids are just getting better so they're just making yeah. other kids better around yeah. them. Um, but to to answer the the hooker question, like it takes all sorts, you know, like the um, Dan's a certain type of hooker, Ron's a certain type of hooker, like Bougarit's a certain type of hooker. Mm. Um, it's whatever kind of strengths you can bring to the game and and. Uh, you know, like, and then if you suit whatever way the team plays, but um, yeah, we're just lucky to to have kind of two. You know, they're they're both very good, probably uh, a little bit different in in what they're good at. So, like, that's great to have those options for for Leinster and um, yeah, like and Ireland as well. Mm. Leinster will obviously be hurting in the group, um, <clears throat> not just from last year but from this as well, and and the nature of the defeats. But then I guess you look at the the age profile of the squad. 
you look at the likes of Jack Nienaber coming in, you know, if you if you have a world class defence coach coming in, fixing maybe some of the, the small issues that are there, you'd imagine the next year or two will still be very, very prosperous years from Leicester's perspective. They just need to get over the line in those finals. Yeah, I don't I don't think the that group um is going anywhere, but it's just you know, I'd f- like feel for them so much. The pain, the pain of losing the final is just incredible. Uh, it's it's brutal, um, and you know, it's everyone, it's families, it's it's everyone who feels it. Um, but you know, the reason why it's so special to win and why it means so much is because it's so hard. And and mm-hmm. you look at um, at, at La Rochelle and and their family and kids running the pitch and and Ronagar and his mother and like. Those special moments live to forever, um, and that's why that's why you play the game. But sometimes you have to go through a crazy amount of pain. And fortunately, the weekend was one of them um, to build your way up to to finally get over the line and, and take the learnings from those really really hard days. But it doesn't make them easy. If if, sorry, if Ogawa did become the Ireland head coach in time, is there any sense that he wouldn't be able to be as good as an Ireland manager as a club manager? Does it matter at all? Like when you're not there necessarily day to day. No, um, I wouldn't think so. Anyway, I, th- I think uh, the fundamentals um, of how he's built uh, the culture within his team. I don't think that there's you know it's kind of like once you have the the blueprint for it, it'd be obviously uh, you know he's probably a harder job of getting all of the different cultures and and everything. Um, uh, singing off the same hymn sheet and motivated so um, no I think he'd have absolutely no problem um, he'd probably excel as a as Ireland coach but we've a pretty good Ireland coach at, yeah. the, at this moment in time yeah. Um, so uh, yeah so does he yeah. keep building the what, what does he do going forward now like how long does he stay in France oh god I've no idea but like if you're if you're winning you know why Why stop why stop a good thing um, seems to like living over there seems to like the culture yeah yeah like judging judging from what he's saying anyway he's uh, and what he's doing and, and clearly with, with that group of players um, I don't see why he'd leave anytime soon mm. The um, I was reading a piece I don't know if you, you saw it yesterday in the Irish Independent from Rory O'Connor where he was talking about the I guess that psychological side of everything as well and uh, there was an interesting line where he said Cullen might start by tearing down the images of past success that dominates the walls of their UCD base of diffusing the importance of the stars on the jersey because rather than be inspired the players looked like the enormity of what was on the table spooked them as the game went on like is there, there's all that talk about the fifth star and, and, and the psychology of winning and and was that was that in any way related to the second half performance or the enormity of what was about to happen as, as Rory says there no nothing to do with it <laughs> no like I, we, we talked about it earlier you know and like listen he's uh, that's his opinion and he's entitled to that opinion but I don't agree with it whatsoever um, like if that was the case they wouldn't have had that first half performance mm. because it would have been too big for them and it would have been they would have been in the shells and all this sort of thing Larchelle are an unbelievable side they're reigning champions you know they were always going to have a purple patch and their purple patch was just slightly better than ours and that's unfortunately all it is and that's like sounds like very general we've gone through the detail mostly of, of how they did it but um, like you can you know try come up with different reasons and ways and everything like that like the the fifth star things it's just it's a, like it's a phrase there's no like 
you know, mad thing about it every day. Like, it's mm. not something that, like, we're... It's not hammered ob- home ...obsessed with. Yeah, it's just, like, it's the next one that we can get. So, like, that's what, you know, and we want to win a European Cup just as badly as everyone else. So that's what we talk about, because if it was the fourth one, it'd be the fourth star. Mm. You know, it's, like, it's... It, it's... Uh, it's it's an interesting take on it, and and listen, he's entitled to whatever take he wants, but I definitely uh, wouldn't agree with it. Is there any sense that they week to week they don't have many close games where like they're not really in this situation very often? They're steamrolling teams week in week out much time, then they obviously lose to Munster, but this, this situation they're not in it very often. And maybe is, is there a psychological thing when James Ryan goes off and they lose that like tribe for half time? They're like we're not really used to this mental pressure, or is that just just what they lost by a point? Oh, yeah, I think genuinely, I think it's just the ladder. They lost by a point. Lost by a point to an unbelievably good team. If they won by two, it's like, yeah, they won the game, mm. they deserved it. You know, yeah. They were the best final ever yeah, from yeah. a Leinster perspective. But, like, I'm sure all the people on the port are, like, best final ever from <laughs> a Larger perspective. It's just we're sitting on this side. And uh, and it's just, you know, like, everyone is entitled to their own take on it. And when you lose, you just got to sit there and take it. Mm. And that is just it. So, um it's just tough. What did you make of the? We invariably t- talk about refereeing performances after after a final. Regardless, I, know, I think Johnny Sexton maybe made a beeline for 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 Jakob Piper after the match to to have a couple of word, uh, words maybe on on some of the decisions. How did you feel he fared overall? I yeah, I wouldn't have any complaints. Um, like I feel like both teams um, were were pushing the boundaries. You know when it really mattered and and uh, really competing hard at the breakdown and. Um, yeah, I, I, I've I've no complaints. The, this conversation came up last night on on Monday Night Rugby. Where the question: Are Leinster overrated or underrated? And it's a mad one. It's like after all the success, and and you're seeing pieces in the newspapers talking about Leo Cullen is he all of a sudden under pressure to deliver the Champions Cup again next season? You know, 2018 is is a bit of time ago, but not that long ago, I guess. But from a Leinster perspective, with that star-studded squad, is there pressure? Next, I know there's pressure going into every season, but is there added pressure now? I would say, it's, yeah, yeah, potentially there is added pressure. Yeah, no, yeah. there would be added pressure, but there's always pressure. It's like once you've once you've won uh, a couple, and like the, like La Rochelle will have that same pressure now, you know, and uh, they are now the, the double champs. So like you know, everyone is expecting, you know, unless they win it next year, it's a it's a failure from their point of view. But the same expectation is is set in Ireland because we've been doing so well um, with you know the majority of these guys in green shirts, and we've, we've uh, as a as a Lens team played well uh, throughout the year. And you know our expectations are to you know to to hopefully win a trophy at the end mm. of the year, and that's what we start out to do every year. So the pressure's on on us all the time, but uh, ter- I suppose in terms of Leo Collins playing a coach career, where does this rank in terms of like? Stomach, gut front, like this is just tough, tough, tough to deal with. It's up there, yeah. But you know, Leo talks about the times when, like, they couldn't even get a win, mm. you know, and 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 uh, like the struggle that they had to go through then just to turn the team around, and the journey he's been on with the with Lancers from donkeys years ago. Mm. Um, so it's this different. There's always there's always pressure and there's there's always scrutiny uh, when you don't win and 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 rightly so. Mm. Um, but listen, this this team will will dust themselves off. It'll take 
you know, weeks to kind of get over the the pain, and and it never leaves you the pain, but it'll take weeks to to to, to turn the page and um, you know to go away and, and refresh. And, and mm. some lads will go uh, into preseason for the World Cup. Some lads will go into preseason for Leinster, and fortunately, you got to wait a year before you can try and and uh, and change change history, but. Um, it doesn't get any easier, unfortunately, because that La Rochelle team are probably going to get better. You know, the likes of Toulouse are probably going to get better. You know, everyone gets better. So um, that's the hard part. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's just tough. To I'm, I'm actually struck by your use of the word pain as well, because a lot of people who are not into sport to be like, oh, he's waffling here. Like, it's just a game, you know. But obviously you mean it. Yeah, well, you pour your heart and soul into it. And, like, you know, if you're... Uh, I don't know if you're, you're at the game on the weekend like you look at the the parents section on both sides and uh, like you know they're like that's your child and like the they're literally you know in tears for um, for, for grown men yeah for yeah. grown men and, and they know because they pour their, the sacrifice that goes in you, like everything you put into it and and Listen, that's you lose we, by a point. You lose by a point, but that you, you play it because it, you look at the the Larchelle family and they're having the moments of their life, and that's what you, that's what you play for. So you just got to take the good with the bad, unfortunately, and uh, it does mean so much. And I guarantee you would have seen the same pain from from that Larchelle team if uh, if we'd come up with with two more points mm. or seven more points or five more points. Mm. It's uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year next year, and you even see the South African teams getting better as well and getting more financial firepower so in every sense rugby is just getting closer so that gap between Leinster and the rest not just in this country but elsewhere has clearly narrowed definitely and I'm like unbelievably excited by uh, by how good and competitive the the URC is um, I think like there's, there's some proper proper teams in there now and like they're going to start kicking on in, in the uh, in the Champions Cup as well and, and it can only be a good thing having uh, having loads of class teams playing week in week out mm. it'll bring more viewership it'll bring better players um, it'll just raise the standard um, uh, yeah so I'm excited by all of that great stuff Jim's brilliant analysis and insight as per usual thanks a million for popping in thanks a lot. great stuff Jim's Tracy there reflecting on Leinster's Heineken Champions Cup very narrow defeat to, to La Rochelle at the weekend at 8.35am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM. Turning our attention to Matters Evan Ferguson because the, the hype train does not stop. We're not going to get too carried away over in this country but delighted to say Andy Naylor from The Athletic joins us on the show this morning to uh, touch on Brighton and Evan Ferguson and other issues as well. Andy, good morning, how are things? Good morning to you, very well, thank you. Looking I, forward to Europe. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's exciting times for Brighton. It certainly is, yeah. Uh, qualifying for Europe for the first time in the club's history. And it's going to be the Europa League rather than the Europa Conference League because they have such a big goal difference advantage going into um, the end of the season. So although they're not mathematically guaranteed Europa League at the moment, sixth place, that's what it's going to be in reality. We did want to talk to you about uh, about our own Evan Ferguson. We mentioned him at the top of the show as well today. He uh, scored another couple of goals at the weekend. He... Um He's someone that every time we talk about on the show, Andy, we, we get a little bit of slack for maybe bumping up the hype train a little bit too much. But what's the what's the vibe around Evan Ferguson in Brighton? There's no doubt about it. He is a really exciting prospect. The way he's come through this season in, in his sort of first proper season in the first team. Ten goals in 22 outings, which is pretty impressive at the level he's playing at. The most prolific teenager in the Premier League. 
18 years of age. What I really liked against Southampton uh, on Sunday in particular was his first goal, which was an important breakthrough. And it was just the shot, 15 yards out, angled drive, didn't think twice, bang. And it was it was actually the velocity of the shot that, um, I mean, Alex McCarthy, you could question the Southampton goalkeeper, but when you look at it again, I just don't think he was expecting it to be hit as hard as it was. Yeah. Um, so he, he just he's he just he's just got no fear uh, at all, Evan. And then for the second goal, really good work by Kaori Matoma, another of Brighton's young stars down the left, and he was in the right place to put it away. So um, yeah, he's made a really big uh, impression with not just goals, but just his all-round game. He, he does seem to have um, found that happy place between no fear and almost humility as well like he's absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and I know Shane has, Shane has interviewed him I've never interviewed him but he does come across as this guy that is absolutely soaked in confidence but there's no real he's not arrogant he's kind of he's, he just seems to have, have gotten that balance maybe correct yeah very humble when you speak to Evan yeah there's, there's no cockiness about him um, no no attitude um I think a lot of um, well, the praise for that perhaps goes down to his dad, um, Barry, who, who of course was a player, central defender. I'm sure he's getting a lot of uh, good advice from his father and the people around him and indeed at the club, the way he's being handled by the club. You've got Roberto De Zerbi, his head coach, you know, who's, who's looking at it not just for the now but for what's ahead for Evan. Hence, when he had this ankle injury against Chelsea recently, you know, that could have been a temptation to rush him back, but they didn't do that. They waited till he was properly okay again. You've got Danny Welbeck there, um, a great example, a great role model for him to work alongside. So, um, yeah, he's very much got his feet on the ground. I don't think he will get carried away in any way by the noise around him in, in Ireland. I, I got a good bit of slagging uh, recently. I was saying that I think... Um like I essentially said I think Evan Ferguson's play outside the box like Han and Ferguson do have a couple of things in common that both their dads were professional footballers I don't think that should be understated actually I think they were probably brought up in a different way to like your average kid because I guess if you're a dad and you played professionally and you see your kids showing early promise you can kind of throw the whole kitchen sink at it and if you have two like big lads and athletes that they were but I suppose the point I was making was that I think he doesn't get enough credit Evan for his the quality of his link up play and his hold up play outside the box would you agree and I guess like what does he have to improve on I think there's areas for improvement on that but but he's learning and what's really fascinating under Roberto De Zerbi I mean Danny Welbeck says he's learning uh, even with his wealth of experience, the clubs he's played at. Because Brighton don't really play with what most people would recognise to be an out-and-out out number nine. It's almost it's almost kind of a false nine. Um, so they he drop, drop, they drop in quite a lot. Uh, the, the forwards drop back into midfield, linking up the play. That's very much part of part of um, De Zerbi's method. So there's quite a lot of that, yeah. And I, I guess there, there were sometimes areas I, I can remember uh, in one of the recent games, Roberto, as he often does, turning around in exasperation 
when Evan on one occasion was a bit loose in possession. He does that with everyone, Roberto. Um, people get a bit confused. His, his passion on on the touchline is not directed at officials usually. It's directed at his own players when they're not quite as precise as he'd like them to be. But he's in a great place to learn. He's in a great club to learn. Uh, you look going forward, that he'll get European experience now, um, which can only benefit his development. What's he sorry? What's he worth, Andy? What's he worth? Mm. It's very difficult to put a figure on it. Obviously, at this stage, I would, immediately you're you're probably talking. I don't know what what Brighton would want him. I think what we've got to bear in mind is strikers, forwards, forwards who score goals always come with an added premium. Mm. Um, put a figure on it, but if we're talking about what he could become then we could be talking huge figures. You know, we're, we're looking at a club that have got two midfielders in Moises, Cochado and World Cup winner Alexis McAllister, who could, if they're sold in the summer, fetch between them in the region of £160 million. Evan, and it's let's stress, it's still very early days, but if he maintains his development, he'll be getting into those kind of high-figure fee brackets. It's interesting, Andy, because he signed this new contract, long-term contract with, with Brighton until 2028. Does that does that tie things up for him for the next few years at Brighton, or do you feel that, that clubs will be sniffing around because there's been rumours of Jose Mourinho being a massive fan of his and, and rumours of AS Roma coming in for him? I know he's a Manchester United fan from, from when he grew up as well as a kid. So does, it, does the contract tie things down for Everton for the next year or two at the Amex, do you think? I, th- I think it's a combination of those things. Yes, it, it, it shows his, his, his level of commitment. Uh, it shows the club's belief in him and also it protects their interest in terms of interest externally, which there will be and there will continue to be. I've no doubt about that. I'm sure we'll see stories linking him with clubs in the summer. I don't see him going anywhere at this stage. I don't see him going anywhere soon. I think he knows, the people around him know, he's at the perfect club to develop. If we look back at his decision to join Brighton, there were lots of big clubs interested in him. He went for a trial at Liverpool, Everton, Celtic. He chose Brighton because he could see the pathway. And here he is, 18 years of age, getting regular first-team involvement in probably the biggest and toughest league in the world. So... um, I think he's in a happy place and I think he'll stay in that place it's also, for a while yet. It is interesting that what you say because I got that sense from speaking to him before as well that he was very grateful to Brighton and, and the work that they've done in, in improving you know, his little skills. We, we talk often about his physicality just because of his size, I guess. But <clears throat> as you mentioned this morning, Andy, like his finishing technique and little things like that as well. Um, and also, I guess, there, there was a little bit of fear, maybe, certainly for myself, when Graham Potter was leaving, leaving Brighton, and I was thinking, oh, you know, Potter's been very good to Evan Ferguson, he brought him into the, the first-team squad. Um, but that transition from Potter to De Zerbe on for Evan Ferguson was, was seamless, which speaks volumes about the player as well, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah, and I don't think you were alone in fearing that. I think there were a lot of people who wondered what was going to happen when Graham Potter, who, who'd taken the club from a bottom-six club, they were bottom six in his first two seasons in the Premier League to ninth last season. Goes to Chelsea, Roberto De Zerbi, who, I mean, the club knew what he was all about, but probably a lot of people 
wondered who this guy is, didn't know much about him. Um, but we've seen him take the team on further, improve, improve them further, improve individual players with his with his coaching and his his methods and his belief. And I think we've seen that with Evan. He's just grown and grown and grown this season. What's the Zerbi stock actually as well? Because like if you look at some of the basket case appointments that top Premier League clubs have made either in the uh, interim, where does he rank now? Well, uh, you know, um, you have to say what an inspired appointment. And it's not by accident this because Brighton, um, this is their way under the owner chairman, Tony Bloom. Tony Bloom, beg your pardon, they're very forward thinking. He'd like being they're called very... Tony Bloom, I think. That's kind of got a nice ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably call his next um... horse that. <laughs> <laughs> they're very proactive. They're not reactive. They think ahead. They plan for everything, whether that's losing staff, and they've lost a lot of staff um, in the last 12, 18 months. Losing players, and they've lost some key players in the last 12, 18 months. But there's always something in place. And with Roberto De Zerbi, they knew about his work at Sassuolo. They knew about his work briefly at Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, he was their number one choice. And it's proved to be, as I said, an inspired appointment when you look at where he's now taken the club. That, that style of play they have, um, of playing out with no fear, no fear at all. Um, and, um, yeah. You can only see a sort of um, bright future ahead. It's it's funny as well. Like that must be important for Evan Andy in the sense that like he's playing at a club that from the top down. Like if Evan were thrown into like a so-called bigger club, but a club that's kind of all over the shop, like that could really stymie his development. Absolutely, and I think the the other thing, the other key thing you've got to remember, and that there have been many examples of this in the past. Let's just say Big Club X comes in, loads of money, uh, hypothetical world, he went. He would not be getting the first-team opportunities he's getting at Brighton, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm talking about with that pathway, that, that, that clear identity that young players can see that at Brighton I've got a real chance of progressing uh, and developing and getting first-team football not often very rarely the case uh, at bigger clubs that that happens more likely to be playing in the under 21s um, going out on loan so um, that will come it will come that if he continues his development if he continues to progress that will come naturally anyway he's only 18 so there's no rush and I think he knows that I think the people around him know that the club know that so, um, yeah, as I said before, I think he's in a really good place to um, develop his career. Even holding on to... Right, you, you mentioned, Andy, of course, Caicedo and, and McAllister potentially could be out the exit door. We'll wait and see across the summer. Um, two, quick two-parter for you. How important is it, even for Evan, from Evan Ferguson's perspective, that Brighton hold on to Matoma? Because he's been crucial to the, to the club this year. And also, secondly, the Joao Pedro arrival from Watford, a £30 million striker, will that yeah. have any impact on, on, on Evan Ferguson? Well, two things. Let's take Matoma first. I don't see him going this summer. You you can never say never. But I don't see that happening this summer. Um, I, I, I wouldn't anticipate movement beyond Cachado, McAllister and possibly goalkeeper Robert Sanchez, who's who's lost his place to Jason Steele and um, is not 
particularly happy about that. Um, Matoma, again, fantastic breakthrough season um, he's had. Um, but I think, and again, there's plenty of clubs that will be looking at him, watching him, but they'll probably want to see what happens because I, th- I think the, the challenge for, for Kaorani and indeed Evan is the next season. You know, the, the, these breakthrough players who people don't necessarily know much about. People know all about them now. So it will be interesting to see um, if they can continue that, that um, progression next season. Um, so uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I don't see um, Matoma going. And sorry, I've now forgotten what was the second Sorry, Joe Pedro's rival from, from Watford. Of course, yeah. Would that have yes, any impact? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I, th- I think this is part of the process. Brighton and Deserby's spoken a lot about this. During the run-in, they've had a really congested spell of fixtures and against big teams, big games. They've had injuries and it's caught up with them a bit, the, that, the, the sort of three games a week scenario. They're going to have that a lot next season. You're, obviously, you're playing regularly to start with sort of Thursday, Sunday. So he's spoken a lot about the fact that they're not used to that and they need to get used to it. So this, 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 they need more. They need a bit more depth. They have got quite a lot of young quality depth, but they need a bit more. And you know they've they've made their intentions clear with with Joao Pedro, ten million pound more than the club have ever paid for a player. Uh, so they don't routinely splash out huge sums uh, transfer fees. Um, 21-year-old, real kind of typical Brighton identity in terms of the type of players they like. Uh, Brazilian forward can play in quite a few different roles across the front line. And obviously that adds from from Evan's point of view, that increases the competition for forward places. But I think he'll still get plenty of opportunities. You know, domestically, they've got Premier League, Carabao Cup, FA Cup, then Europa League on top of that. Mm. So... um, there will still be plenty of opportunities for him, I'm sure. Just briefly, Andy, sorry, the, like, this is the thing as well that I, I often fear for players in general, young players, that the schedule is absolutely basket case. Now, Evan has to come off like a fairly hectic schedule, playing Man City uh, tomorrow, but then he doesn't really have a rest because Ireland are in action in, yeah. in a massive qualifier soon against Greece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got the international element as well, but we've seen that with, I mean, eight, let's not forget, eight Brighton players went to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. The likes of Matoma, um, McAllister, Caicedo, Purvis Estupanan, uh, Ecuadorian left-back, who's another player who's had a really impressive first season. So they had a lot of players at the World Cup. And I think people have lost sight of that sometimes in the recent run-ins when some individual performances have perhaps not been at the level we've come to expect and some of the team performances haven't been. A lot of these players are a bit drained, frankly, both physically, but as much as anything mentally as well. So you would like to think, you know, he's that that's that goes back to my point about Deserby and the way he's handled Evan. Um, you know, he's he's managing him carefully, he's managing his minutes carefully, because he knows this is not just about Evan and Brighton now. This is about his long term future too. Andy, great stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning.
No problem at all. Good to speak to you. Brilliant stuff, Andy Naylor there from The Athletic talking Brighton and Evan Ferguson and Deserby and all else besides it. 8.53 approaching on this Tuesday morning's OTPM. Delighted to have Cahill Milani in studio with Cahill. us. Cahill. Cahill, sorry. Yeah, we've, we've had, had this, this discussion. Yeah, we've Cahill. had this conversation. What is that? I think that's a... That's an Ulster pronunciation. That's an Ulster pronunciation. Cahill. Cahill. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Cahill. So you'd say Cahill. Cahill, yeah. We've had yeah. this discussion it's West of Cahill Milani, of Sl- course. Sligo is a kind of... Um, I always find Sligo is quite interesting because like Sligo Leitrim you're kind of edging into Ulster but you're still part of the sort of wild Atlantic way the, the Leitrim accent can be a little bit mad kind of the closer you get to the border it's fairly so. mad yeah, yeah, mm. yeah I enjoy it though I enjoy it what have we got Cal? well um, <laughs> uh, do I answer to that or, uh, who are you talking to <laughs> uh, Newcastle manager Eddie Howe says the club has achieved Champions League qualification ahead of schedule they're back in the Champions League for the first time in 20 years after their goal draw with Leicester in the Premier League last night Leicester two points from safety they play West Ham in their final game of the season on Sunday big game tonight for the Republic of Ireland under 17s they play Hungary at the European Championships a win for Ireland will secure their place in the quarterfinals kick off for that one in Hungary is at 7 o'clock uh, the Giro d'Italia resumes today Eddie Dunbar is 8th in general classification he's 3 minutes and 40 seconds behind the leader Bruno Armorai and Tiger Woods has had to withdraw from next month's US Open the 15 time major winner is still recovering from the operation he had on his ankle last month Cahal Milani great stuff as Thank always thanks million for hopping into us uh, this on Tuesday morning 8.54am on OTBAM uh, with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now uh, we're going to turn our attention back to some of the, the weekend action in sport. It was a very busy sporting weekend. Uh, and the Katie Taylor fight, and uh, sadly disappointing defeat for Katie Taylor at Dublin's Three Arena to Chantel Cameron. And delighted to welcome the Offaly boxer who's been on the show, uh, with us on the show at different points before, Gráinne Walsh, to the show this morning. Gráinne, how are things? How are you keeping? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. You're in Poland at the moment, so you've been in Germany. You're in Poland and you're, and you're fighting tomorrow, is that right? Fighting tomorrow, yeah, so uh, you got me at a good time, to be fair. I have no fight day today, so I'm, I'm kind of just resting, making weight and all for tomorrow, so I'm good to go. You could talk to us all day if you wanted. <laughs> well, I wouldn't push it that far now. You mightn't like me. The more hungry I get, you mightn't like talking to me. Bit of hunger. Yeah. Do you mind the, the day before a fight? Is it, or Do you be nervous, or is it more just minding yourself, relaxing, chilling out? Uh, it's kind of... I don't know. Like I've I've been in this position a good few times, so it's uh, we got the draw on all yesterday. So I I don't really like to look too far into the draw. I kind of just like being told who I'm fighting, what day I'm fighting, and then I take it one one day at a time from there. I don't really like going into the oh if I be her, if I be her, and mm. it doesn't really make any difference. You have to take it one day at a time in this sport. So psychologically, going you, how much prep goes into the opponent and knowing like what to expect, how many curveballs you might expect, or how much you have to match up. Uh, see on the international scene you kind of be fairly familiar with most people in your weight division so like even around the hotel like I'm seeing familiar faces people I've fought before people I've sparred at training camps and stuff so you'd have a general idea yourself but I tend to leave the the real nitty gritty down to the coaches they do their research on the opponent and they know your best asset and they come up with a bit of a, a game plan but as well a lot of it is done on the job as soon as you get in because mm. if you prepare for a certain type of fighter and if they if they usually throw a one-two off the bat, for example, and then they don't do that, you have to be able to adapt yourself. So I, I try not to get too bogged down on exactly what's going to happen because a lot can change in 10 seconds, never mind three three-minute rounds. So. Well, actually, on that, because it changed very, very early for Katie Taylor the other night where like it was like the narrative was, was dead within half a minute nearly. It was like, okay, here we go. 
yeah um like you know no one really knows what goes on in in other people's camps or corners or tactics or any of that sort of stuff like you know there would have been an awful lot of research done in both camps on, on each other's on on each other for the, the fight at the weekend but you know again a high pressure situation you just don't know what way that affects you and I don't know I, I just feel like Chantel's style just didn't really match didn't really suit Katie Taylor's style and um, I think in boxing it's very much a sport of styles make fights and I just think that Chantel's relentless pressure is just all wrong for Katie. Whether whether they're going to have a rematch or not, I'm, I'm not too sure. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be a tough few days following that defeat there at the weekend, and a, a very sad day for Ireland in general because um, you know Katie has done so much for not just sports people in Ireland, but the, just the people of Ireland to give them something to, to smile about over the last decade or more so uh, yeah we, we owe a lot to her yeah sad evening generally well with Thomas Cardi of course won the, the Celtic heavyweight strap and then a couple of hours before the main event you have the crowd already in their seats waiting for some other Irish fighters Dennis Hogan who was in here last week uh, unfortunately lost his, his IBO super welterweight title on a points decision that was against JJ Metcalf uh, and then Gary Cully his first career defeat as well against Jose Felix that was a third round knockout in that one so already there was a couple of little mini blows I guess Grania before Katie even took to the ring it just yeah. kind of sucks the energy out of the room I guess yeah like I, I can only imagine what the atmosphere must have been like at the fight and like I, the, the tickets were so hard to get for the fight anyway mm. so I kind of lost hope on even getting tickets but then as, as the, the fight grew closer and even around fight week all the buzz like god I was raging I wasn't going but then obviously I was coming away here so it was I, I had no choice really but you couldn't yeah, get a ticket no for the Irish sorry you couldn't get a ticket no no tickets were like people were thinking that oh we get sorted out because we're with the Irish team and all but no it's it's first come first served if you don't get one there's no there's no backhanders unfortunately like the- if it was Crow Park it might be different there'd be more tickets available mm. but because the tree arena can only hold you know X amount of the whole population who would love to be there on the night it was kind of they were like gold dust unfortunately but look I was here anyway so it didn't really make much difference but there was eight of us gathered around the phone here we landed on Saturday night so we just made it to the hotel in time to watch the fight and yeah we, we just had seen Gary as well and like a huge upset like you know it's just mad boxing is one that's why I don't like to look too far ahead you're only as good as the mm. current time and your last performance. So I, I just think it's very difficult when you start looking into the future and planning all different things until you actually take care of business on the day. You mentioned there the difference in styles between Katie Taylor and, and Chantelle Cameron. And of course, it's been well publicised that, that Katie had to go up a weight class as well. Um, you know, there was a three-inch reach advantage, I think, for Chantelle Cameron. Were you surprised then at the at the decision to opt for a fighter of the talent of Chantelle Cameron? Because, you know, she could have fought maybe a lesser boxer, won her fight in Dublin, had the lovely homecoming victory, but I guess it speaks volumes to Katie as well that, that she doesn't want the easy the easy option. Oh yeah, of course. And I've I've been watching all, all the post-fight interviews on all the different YouTube channels and I like to do that actually in my in my downtime. I'm not really a big Netflix fan, but I like keeping <laughs> up to date with all the, the pros and everything. So uh, yeah, Katie honestly could have fought anybody and sold out the three arena, but you know, in her words, she wanted to have a night to remember for the Irish people and, and she always wants to be remembered as taking the hardest challenges and no one can argue that she hasn't dodged anybody. She's had amazing fights and never shied away from a challenge. So, like I said earlier, we, we have so much to thank her for. Like, I wouldn't be in this position here in Poland if it wasn't for what Katie did. 
Chantel even said after the fight that she wouldn't be in that position if it wasn't for the way that Katie paved the way for everybody, not just Irish boxers, but uh, females and boxers all around the world. So, uh, yeah, she could have fought anyone. She took the biggest challenge, but high risk, high reward. And unfortunately, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Nothing is guaranteed in boxing. And as you see with Gary's fight, one punch can change everything. And, uh, yeah, a sad night, but... You know we can we can take our hats off to them for taking the big challenges and that's what we want to be remembered for in the sport not taking any easy options. That early start uh, maybe took some people by surprise just the dominance of, of Chantal Cameron in the early rounds I think at the start of round six she was maybe four one up with a lot of uh, ringside scorecards um, pinned to the ropes she was taking a lot of punishment as well Katie Taylor. Um, and even I was reading Michael Carruth afterwards, Grania as well, and he was talking about the body shots. She was, he was saying her sharpness yeah. just wasn't there. She was getting caught with a lot of body shots, and that is soul-destroying as it t- literally takes the air out of you. So that's not an easy thing, I'm sure, for her to have mm. had to put up with as well. Early rounds when you're getting so many body shots, it takes its toll. Yeah, of course. And, like, you know, you can take, I don't know, from personal perspective, a body shot can really, like, sap the energy straight out of you. So, uh those, I don't know, everyone kind of thought that Katie would snatch the early rounds and Chantel would come on stronger in the late rounds. But I think I think Katie may have been trying to save some energy for the late rounds. Look, we, we can only speculate. We have no idea. Only Katie and her team know what the tactics were. But I just feel she looked um, a little bit overtrained, if, if anything. Uh, didn't have that, like, up on the toes, kind of in and out sharpness that we have seen previously. Look, no one can say what that actually is. I'd say... Katie's even thinking, you know, what went wrong at the weekend or whatever. But you mentioned about the the moving up in weight class. It would be a very different fight, even moving up the same way Katie did. If Chantel was a different style fighter, if she was a counter puncher and on the back foot, it, it wouldn't have been as evident. But because Chantel was sitting on Katie's chest for the entire time and never took a step back, she would, would have felt every bit of that weight difference. So I think that was the defining factor in that regard. And like, for 10 rounds, you could see at the end, Chantel looked like she could have went on and done a few, done a few more. So uh, I think the styles was just the wrong kind of match. But we'll see. If, if Chantel is talking about moving down to £135, that could go in Katie's favour and they could change the tactics up altogether. We just don't know. But on Saturday night, it just looked, it looked like it was one-way traffic, really. If you were Katie, would you want to fight her again? Stylistically, look, Katie is going to want to fight her again regardless because, like Eddie Hearn said afterwards, she's not going to be able to sleep with that loss on her record. Mm -hmm. There's a rematch clause in the contract for a reason and whatever way that happens now, I'm sure Chantel will want some things in her favour because she did take everything, the shorter end of the straw for everything this week or on the fight week last week um, as the homecoming for Katie. But now she has her own things to kind of shout about as well. So it would be nice to see the fight again maybe in Katie's, at Katie's weight division this time for Chantel to challenge to be a two-way uh, undisputed champion. But we just don't know. There's a lot of things that you can speculate about. But as I said earlier, no one knows what goes on behind the scenes. There's an awful lot of things that go on that we have no idea about. So we'll just have to wait to see in the coming months. In that, that decision as to if they do have that rematch and trigger that rematch clause, and as you say, Katie probably will trigger that part of her contract, um, <clears throat> what weight they fight at is, is so crucial because... I mean, if Chantal Cameron comes down to one thirty-five pounds, as you say, Grania, and and takes all her belts at that level, I mean, that would be it's such a blow for Katie Taylor. 
It is. That's the only thing I'd worry about. I, that's the only thing that I would maybe doubt if Katie will want the fight at that weight because it was grand. She was coming up. She was the challenger, even though it was she was the favourite and the homecoming and everything. She was the challenger. So she still had her five belts at 135. But if now after that fight and, and seeing that Chantel's style is a very difficult style to deal with for Katie's style particularly, uh, moving down, obviously the risk of losing it all maybe just a step too far so we'll just see I know there'll be there'll be many negotiations going on but I think the two girls need to just take a bit of time out now enjoy enjoy the time off and then maybe just think about what's coming up next but we never know there's talk about the Amanda Serrano rematch yet so we just don't know what's going to happen It's funny you look at the the fight um, as a it was a tight fight but I guess if you look at the stats from Copybox um, so Chantal Cameron threw 565 punches versus Taylor's 284 and then there's other metrics as well. So she landed, Chantel Cameron, that is, 141 to 111. 27 jabs landed versus 21. You have 114 power punches landing versus 90 for, for Katie. So all of these stats, perhaps unsurprisingly, in favour of the, the bigger boxer, Grania. Yeah, I think, you know, even though Chantel threw more than double that Katie threw, but it's just, and even, she, she didn't even land a massive amount more mm. in the stats, but... If you're a judge sitting on the side of the ring, the general picture of the fight, Katie's back was on the ropes the majority of the time and Chantel was the one pressing on. Now, when, when Katie did plant her feet and throw five punches in the blink of an eye, that's what Katie's best at. But, you know, the sidesteps and all that sort of stuff, I just didn't, we didn't see that part of Katie Taylor. But look, they could have had a completely different game plan. You never know, you, you know, that famous saying, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm. So, uh, it's easy for us sitting out here with no pressure on us to be able to criticise, not criticise, but to, you know, put our own kind of opinion on it. But it's very different when you're the home favourite, you're getting in and there's 10,000 screaming Irish fans there and all the pressure is on you. You just don't know what way that affects you. I know myself being in the back the back end of Poland, the pressure is, is still high here. So I can only imagine what she's feeling getting in. And uh, in a way, Chantel had no pressure on her at all. No one was expecting her to win, really. What 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 is the Katie Taylor thing like, Grania? I, I I genuinely I don't get it because like I I'm not really into boxing. Like the, the tickets were over five hundred quid the other night. Um, you know, boxing's on the periphery of people's mind in Ireland. It's not a big sport over here. You know, women's boxing obviously is the smaller end of that. And Katie, as I mentioned earlier, she she won that personality of the year against um, Sam Bennett. And the hype around Katie Taylor is incredible like and I could see from your perspective how inspiring she is but like she's not necessarily hugely charismatic and um, you know she's quite shy in her own way there's just something about her that Irish people have absolutely absolutely embraced like uh, hook line and sinker and, and love her like yeah when you think of when you think of the difference between herself and Conor McGregor like and, <laughs> and McGregor sitting ringside you know he's very much a you Rash know a marmite kind of character mm. you either love him or you hate him whereas I've never heard anyone to say a bad word really about Katie Taylor. She doesn't really scream and shout from the rooftops. She's very unassuming. She's won everything there is to win in a sport that, you know, like it's it's just crazy the things that she's done. And she doesn't look for major praise for it, which I think is so admirable. And it's not only people in boxing who who she's appealed to, you know, at the weigh-ins and at the, at the public workout. You have people of, you know, 
all all backgrounds, old women, old men, young women, young girls, young fellas. Like she just appeals to everyone. You don't have to be a boxer to to find her a, a, an inspiration. So it's really you know, interesting to say that boxers. actually, because because maybe it's maybe it is her humility, the fact that Irish people naturally do not really they don't really like arrogance. They don't really like people being above yeah. themselves. Maybe it is that. Yeah, I think for Irish people, we're very quick to like, you know, be like, oh, get over yourself or like, Mm. you know, bring people back down to earth. So I think uh, that's what's so what's so nice about Katie Taylor is that she is so humble. And even though she has every reason to to scream and shout from the rooftops and and dictate X, Y and Z, she doesn't do that. That's not her style. And I always thought when she turned pro, would it be a successful (laughs) because she doesn't have that trash talking but. Look, it just shows her your your talent can do the talking for you, and she's proved that. So I think that's why she's touched so many people. Yeah, that's probably why it felt so unnatural when <clears throat> Katie was calling out Chantel Cameron on social media. You're like, this this doesn't exactly. sound like yeah. Katie Taylor. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned the atmosphere there, Gronya, like as as something that plays a role. Because all last week I was thinking, oh, the home crowd is going to play at Katie's advantage, and she'll have no fear. But then you forget of the impact of of being that home favourite, and and Chantel Cameron <clears throat> perhaps com- com- comes out. And it would have been so easy for her to kind of bow down and, and hide away from, from that away crowd. And But she seemed to lean into the role of, of, a, of not the villain, but well, I guess it is the villain. Yeah. You know, no, no one in the arena wants you to win, essentially. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I always, I always knew that Chantel's style would pose issues for Katie Taylor. But I, you know, it's all, it all just comes down to who shows up properly on the day. And we don't know. Like he used the keyword there, perhaps we don't. We have no idea. We can only see look from the outside looking in and uh, and see what we might think of, you know, how it would affect you walking out with that many people. You know, it could spur you on. Katie's no no stranger to the, the big occasion. Like she's been, you know, to over ten years ago, she's been she was boxing boxing in the Olympics in London and you know in the XL Arena when the decibel levels hit an all time high and all that sort of thing. So she's been doing this is second nature to her, but. You just don't know. I don't think Chantel shied away from it at all. And uh, it made for a brilliant fight. It was a competitive fight, but in my opinion, a one-sided competitive fight, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, finally, Grania, what would you like to see Katie's next year or two look like? There's uh, There's been some calls from, from some boxers for her to maybe retire or consider retirement. Obviously, none of us have any right to, I guess, tell Katie what to do. She She's going to do what she's going to do regardless. Would you expect a, a rematch and maybe the Serrano fight leaning into next year? Or, or how do you how do you think the next year or two is going to go for Katie Taylor? Well, look, we cannot, like you said, we have no right to dictate what she does. And, like, you know, she has good people around her, people who care about her and stuff. So I know that she'll be getting good advice from everyone that's around her. But realistically, if she keeps fighting, there is only two fights that she could possibly have that's the Chantel rematch and the Amanda Serrano fight mm. so once she if she decides to continue and if she boxes those two fights regardless of what way they go I think she maybe at that point she'll have completed boxing she's already completed boxing she had completed boxing back in 2012 when she won gold <laughs> at the Olympics her dad wanted to, to her to retire then but you know we're, we're 11 years on now and she's still going strong so if she if she wants to continue on and has those two more fights she will have literally completed the book so uh, she could go off and, and maybe enjoy the, the fruits of her labour and, and all the hard work and, and sit back and watch the next generation come through like she's been so passionate about paving that way so it'd be nice for her to sit with her feet up not getting punched anymore and watch us go through it Before uh, Grania's back on we've got to get a, a Netflix uh, documentary that she might actually watch maybe something on boxing 
Ah, stick, you can stick to I the actually YouTube. watched the Conor McGregor one. There was only a four-piece one, so me and my roommate watched it there the last two nights, but we've run out of that now, so I think I'm going to go back to reading to try and get the mindset right for the fight tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, listen, Gronia, always great to chat to you, and uh, listen, very best of luck in that fight tomorrow. Thanks very much, lads. Appreciate it. Brilliant stuff. Grania, watch there. Always fascinating to chat to Grania. She's class. Like, I, I, I think I think it was on with her once here before. But, uh, she's just the type of person you just want to have a coffee with oh. and have a bit of crack with. Maybe watch a hurling game or something. Yeah. Or, she was a good, um, very good soccer player back in the day. As yeah, well, I remember it? she was... I remember talking about her path to boxing because like, as a young girl... What 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 sports do you get into? Yeah. Her path to boxing was kind of um, it was a little bit random, but it's just I'm always of the opinion that kids should try everything. Throw your hat in the ring at everything, and, mm. and pardon the pun, <laughs> because it's like it's like the the kids that don't become jockeys are never never sat in a horse. If they sat in a horse, half of them would fall in love with it. One hundred percent. Try everything, and if you're a parent, I know it's difficult with all the that entails but yeah give them a go with everything I think absolutely here here great uh, great stuff from Gronje Walsh as per usual at 9.13am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you new Brayburn locations are popping up every month so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience here are some of the highlights on the OTB podcast network coming up across today we will have the football pod we'll have Graham Hunter from last night's show as well and uh, Koi Gig, the Koi Gig pod which I mentioned earlier on as well with an exclusive interview with the WSL Player of the Year nominee Manchester United's Ona Batiai you can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB podcast network after the ads we'll have the Irish cricketer George Dockrell joining myself and Johnny in studio first though the 42.ie's Gavin Casey was on the show with Joe last night and he spoke about where Katie Taylor goes next back in a sec she won't retire and I would say because she she won't retire on a loss no. she won't retire on a loss she'd want to find out herself make sure it's over yeah exactly yeah exactly and she, I would say she doesn't think it is over Oh, I, I suspect you're right. One last very quick one. Um, the Irish like big time boxing industry can't be built around Katie Taylor, given her age. It's probably a pity Gary Cully lost because um, that might have been something to, to, to build around. But it's going to be interesting to see now if promoters look at Saturday and say, OK, uh, that looked pretty good. Let's go there. Yeah, exactly. And I would say at the moment, we probably don't quite have the depth of talent in the professional ranks to build a sustainable you know, big arena industry. Mm. But there's guys like Paddy Donovan, who was on the undercard, trained by Andy Lee, um, who did very well and had a great reception. There was Thomas Carty, a heavyweight, the same. Um, Callum Walsh over in the States on the West Coast, training with Freddie Roach, back by Dana White from Cork originally, making waves over there, and he'd love to come back here. So maybe that might be an illustration of a potential scene or a potential industry if you like yeah. but I, I would say it could be beyond a rematch at least it could be a while before we see the, the big time stuff back here maybe three four years you're listening to OTB AM we're counting down to the World Cup Lily Ag scores one of the most important goals they have ever scored check out hashtag OTB Koigig to start your World Cup builder they are going to the World Cup Finals! OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.
9.16am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM. Uh, delighted to have you with us, as per usual, myself and Johnny Ward with you this morning. Now, mental health in sport, particularly in high-performance athletes, uh, is a topic that's been getting a lot of attention of late, but supports for the mental well-being of sports people isn't being reactive to mental health issues when they arise, but rather in implementing the support measures to prevent them. Uh, Cricket Ireland, supported by the Irish Cricket Association, has recently introduced a series of mental health supports and access to therapeutic services for their players through the organisation Inspire, one of the largest providers of workplace wellbeing in Ireland. So we wanted to touch on this and uh, just the work that's being done in cricket behind the scenes to help uh, athletes at the top level deal with... I guess the pressures of the sport and, and and everything that comes with it. So delighted to have George Dockerell in studio with us, the Irish cricket player. How are you keeping, George? Yeah, good, thanks. It's been a number of years. We were just chatting during the ad break there. You've, you have been in here before, but it's been a while. It probably looks a li- slightly bit different. Yeah, a bit of a change up, I think, probably four or five years ago. Uh, we were in here before a series against England, so it's nice to be back. You're travelling to, are you travelling to England tomorrow? Yep, yeah, no, we're heading over to play um, Essex in a warm-up game first um, and then on to Lords as well to play England in a test match. So mm. exciting next uh, couple of weeks. You've been, you've been really at the top of your game the last couple of years. Like, do you feel like you're in, in your prime at the moment? Yeah, look, I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I've probably quite a unique career in the fact that I've switched from being a bowler mm. to, to more of a batter. Um, I lost my contract for for a little bit in the middle of that period as well. Um, so I think coming back and, and kind of feeling like right, I'm going to make you know every every last bit of this count mm. um, has definitely helped me. So I've, I've really really enjoyed my cricket. I think the last That's part last of mental years. health as well, where it's like you know you have to contextualise. Actually, I need to make the most of this. Like definitely, yeah, and just trying to be a bit more present. I find whenever I look a year or two years in advance, I find it quite hard to mm. um, then actually enjoy the the trip I'm on. So I suppose yeah, my attitude's been a little bit more enjoying each each trip as maybe my last time there, mm. maybe my last game. Um, and with that attitude, it's 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 been going really well. You would have represented Ireland from is it under thirteen level onwards? So like you have, it's not like you are a a late blossomer. You have been a a prodigy from from a pretty young age. Yeah, like I would have started, um, you know, within the system at, at thirteen and, and came into the national team at seventeen as well. So um, had quite an early start. Um, you know, had, had a few issues maybe in the middle. Um, where I was trying to, f- you know, work out things within my game, um, but as I said, then being able to come back into the squad now um, and see how much cricket's changed, even in in these last twelve years, thirteen years mm. with, with with the Irish team, it's uh, been amazing, and I've really enjoyed it. Wait, w- w- were you considering quitting the sport when you didn't get that contract that time? Um, you know, I needed to do some other things outside. I had my data science degree at DCU, so I went on and did a little bit more work with that. Um, I took an internship in, in data analytics. Um, you were in for other schools, or are you still there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So with PwC, so again, I um, you know went away for a little bit, um, got a taste, I guess, of, of the other side of things. Mm. And, and, and once I'd finished my degree, which was last year, um, I guess now it's like trying to make the most out of my cricket then. Um, and knowing that, look, that is there for me when I finish. Um, but yeah, look, it definitely helped me, I think, to take a little bit of pressure off um, off the cricket and realise that at the end of the day it is still sport um, and trying to play with that attitude. This, this is a stupid question, but can you marry that analytics and sport? Yeah, and look, we've we've really changed our approach, I think, in terms of um, you know our attitude towards cricket, even just as a national team. Scott Irvine, our analyst, is, is brilliant in, in terms of the information and insights he gives us. Um, again, if I could move into that after yeah. after playing, it'd be, it'd be do, fantastic. Does he, does he feel a little bit like uh, Jesus? I better say this: like, I better sound good here, or George is going to call me out. <laughs> not, not at all. I think I probably pick up more from him um, cool. than that. So, look, I love a lot of the information that we get now. Cool. Um, cricket's becoming a lot more data driven, and I think the nature of the game 
the way it is play after play and it resets mm. every time means it's a, a lot more open to being analysed um, so look it's a really interesting area and look maybe that's something I could get into after there, there is that Netflix stuff for Ronnie yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. following George around <laughs> we, we've spoken on, on the show plenty of times about League of Ireland players uh, especially younger players and, and heading over to England or, or staying here I know Brexit has kind of changed that a little bit uh, for young players but for you you made a debut I think for Ireland at senior level at 17 and you obviously went over to England then to cut your teeth in, in English county cricket I guess that's is that the only pathway for, for really talented international level Irish cricketers or are there other ways you can go about it it was when I was younger um, you know it was a slightly different landscape um, you know the change in the rules now means that if you're playing in England um, as an Irish cricketer you're an overseas player right. um, so the opportunities are different and now all the all the young players are now developing their game in Ireland um, you know, and, and it's a very different landscape. I think a lot of the young cricketers have to develop their game in international cricket, and that's incredibly tough and, and incredibly mentally challenging. But we're seeing with the likes of Josh Little, who's at the mm. IPL right now, um, over in India, um, Harry Tector, Lorcan Tucker, who have come through that Irish system mm. without the use of the English um, setup, that we can create, you know, brilliant cricketers um, on the island of Ireland, and slightly unique way of way of doing it. As I said, a lot of it's kind of um, being in at the deep end and learning on your feet but mm. we've shown that it's possible and, and I think that's really promising for Irish cricket What's been the highlight for you uh, career-wise from an international perspective? Like, is there a When people ask you that question is it a, an obvious moment that stands out? Not really, I think it's been you know different moments along the way You know, beating England in 2011 in that World Cup was, was, was pretty good um, <laughs> but again beating England last year in the T20 World Cup was quite special with a you know, new group of players mm. trying to play a slightly different more attacking brand of cricket um, you know, playing our first test matches and, and seeing how we've, we've pushed cricket in Ireland um, from where it was when I started um, and to where it is now and the supports that the young players have and even the opportunities, like I said, to see the Tectors, the Tuckers, the Littles, mm. you know, fly the flag around the world um, with the world's best. So um, I think that shows that we're in a much better place than when I started. And you know, being able to see that's been pretty fun. I have to say, I do like, I do love the mixture of people on the Irish cricket team. Just, it's almost like all walks of life, really, like north and south, just thrown together, and seems to be like this necessary harmony out of just like respect and love for each other and cricket, like. Yeah, and look, it's you know it's an all island sport, mm. um, and you know I play with guys in the team who who have been playing against underage cricket, under 11s mm. all the way through, mm. um, and so it is fantastic in that sense, and and we have a great makeup within the squad, um, so hopefully that continues. You mentioned there uh, the, the desire and and the reality now of, of Ireland playing a more attacking brand of cricket. What does that translate to in in actual terms, and how does that how does that develop over a couple of years? Like what what needs to happen in order for that to happen? I guess a lot of it was the messaging um, from top down, so from the coaches, from the captain, and then from the players buying into that. Um, you know, in simple terms, with our batting, it was going out there and, and taking it to the opposition, kind of no matter what what position you're in, um, and making sure that you back your options and, and and take them. Now it does mean that when you try and play that way every now and then you fail, and mm. and, and, and you know you probably fail spectacularly when you do fail, but mm. it means that you're trying to win and you give yourself the best chance to win every game. Um, I think once you're trying to play that way, you learn. And that's what I found, that I probably wasn't doing that in my earlier stages of, of batting in international cricket. Mm. But once I put myself under more pressure in the games, I did fail quite a few times, but eventually you do you know, work things out. Mm. Um, and as a group, we've seemed to do that pretty well the last, last 12 months. 
you mentioned there that the supports that are there for younger players now, and that's what we wanted to, to, to touch on today, is that the Cricket Ireland are, are leading the way in many ways in terms of the, the supports there for, for, for its athletes, and I know they're working alongside, as I said, Inspire as well. And it is tough, I can imagine, for, for athletes at the elite level, because you're, as you say, you're balancing life, family, sport, keeping yourself in good shape, um, and demands from elsewhere as well, even as you say, when, when you lost your contract, like that, that takes its toll mentally. Yeah, it does. I guess. Look, athletes. You know, the highs are high, the lows are low. Um, I think that's something that, that all athletes can understand. I think within cricket, you know, we have some unique pressures in terms of how long our tours can be at times. So we were on a seven, eight week trip to Bangladesh and Sri Lanka uh, through the winter, and if you're away from your family, your friends, your support network, um, and if, if times are tough through that, I think that can really challenge your resolve. Um, so look, working on your physical. Um, health and, and, and on your skills and your game is so important but also you know your mental health too um, can be just as important especially when those times are tough so um, Cricket Ireland are aware of that um, as of the ICA and, and hence you know we have access to the Inspire support service um, which is fantastic for all of us I think Shane this is important so like, it wasn't really reported on recently but Damien Duff is doing a, a I don't know I think Shelton had won a game recently but he was doing some sort of interview afterwards post-match interview the normal stuff just out of nowhere he just mentioned Ben Curtis from Drada who's taken a step back from the game to look after his mental health yeah and it wasn't much reported on, but this is complete outlier stuff. This just doesn't happen. And the bravery of that kid to do that, because the natural inclination must be just get on with it or at least come up with some other excuse. Yeah, and look, it is um, something that we're seeing more and more across you know, a variety of different sports, which is you know, great. I think that people are understanding that there's times when you, know, you need a physical break. Um, and similarly, sometimes you know your mental health. Mm. Um, you know it's so important that you need to you know keep keep an eye on that. Again, a lot of the stuff we're talking about with Inspire and a lot of these mechanisms, I guess, trying to avoid you know getting to that point. Mm. Um, and it can be across a kind of you know a wide range of services for, for whatever different people need. But um, again, a lot of it I think comes from trying to have those things in place. Um, you know, before those issues arise, mm. um, and we're aware of it. You know, we speak about it before that last trip. We knew this is going to be a tough tour, and, and um, you know, our captain Andy Balburnie is fantastic. That the first thing he said at the start of the trip is, "This is going to be a tough trip, and whenever you need my door is open, you know, come and talk because you're going to have that point in this trip where uh, where you need to." And, and we are good as a group um, at discussing those things and, and, and staying together. Yeah, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's normal. Like, I don't know is that like that's for Andy to say that like. Because it's brilliant. Like. It, 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 it's it's yeah. it's paradoxical as well. It's like it's not consistent with like say if you're a rugby player, the hits you're taking physically, hit hit it, just get on with it. But like, there's another side to it as well. Yeah, and look, I think cricket is is such a mental game. Um, I've found the biggest you know growth I've had has always been mental. It's always been actually just sitting down and thinking about mm. what I'm trying to do and, and working on more kind of coping mechanisms under pressure, uh, clarity around what I want to do. Um, and even just being in a better headspace in the morning of big games mm. I find has been the biggest thing I can do as opposed to training the day before mm. um, so look it is it is a big area that we're aware of um, again cricket there's a lot of failures within there um, especially with batting um, and there's a lot of luck involved too so I think you need to have that resilience and you need to have those mechanisms for, for when times are tough because they will be at some stage. <laughs> what sort of coping mechanisms have you have you kind of learned for pressure over the years? Because I suppose when you're, as I said, 17 coming into the Irish team, it's different to to the George Doctrine now. You know, it's completely, I'd imagine, psychologically especially different. So, what sort of coping mechanisms have you kind of 
brought into your your career to to make life easier? Yeah, look, there's a lot of different things. Um, Reframing is one of the most simple ones that I've used under pressure. Um, I know I'm not sure who it was early on who spoke about this, but you know, reframing anxiety or um, stress around games into excitement. Um, you know, those huge games are what I used to mm. fear um, when I maybe when I was 22 or 23, um, those big moments. But then I realised, look, when I'm finished this game, I'll you know I'll give anything to be back out in the middle of a game, <laughs> you know, under pressure, having been hit for a six out of the stadium, and I have to. You know, come back again, and, and, and I, I, I think that's really, really relevant. Like, say, like Shane's sister was on the late, late, lately singing, and I, I did think about what is that like mixture of fear and excitement at the start, <laughs> and being able to turn that maybe slight anxiety, and I'm paraphrasing here, but into wow, this is an opportunity. Like, yeah, and, and look, it is because again, I'd rather go out and get hit for six sixes <laughs> or have failed at the highest level. Um, in that arena, then you know, not do it. Mm. Um, and I know that when I finish playing cricket, when I'm you know a bit older and a lot more grey, mm. I'll be thinking, you know, how amazing was it to go out and you know be in that moment at that time. So again, trying to um, keep reframing it like that. I know I'm lucky. I've played a lot of games for Ireland, so I suppose I don't feel like I have a whole lot to lose if this were my last mm. year. Um, in that sense, so I'm lucky. I know with that, but. Again, just trying to enjoy it because um, it is incredible. It is sports still at the end of the day, so you're mm. trying to keep um, positive around that. And once you do that, I find then I also will play better. Um, most importantly, that's the fascinating thing is that we had Ronnie O'Sullivan in here last I was week. I want to mention him. Yeah, actually, yeah. But like he's spoken, you know, about Steve Peters and the work he's done with his psychologist over the years. And two of the things in his book that really stood out to me that, that he's used as as his little things of positive affirmation and the dimmer switch I think someone mentioned to him about a dimmer switch and how you can just light it for yourself as as you see fit it doesn't always have to be bright or dark and the other thing was the, the almost the the overview effect or the helicopter effect of sometimes he said he's in a in, in a massive match at the crucible and he almost is can see himself from above and he's like oh this this doesn't matter it, it, it almost relaxes his body where he's like this is making himself at ease almost in the middle so it is that kind of thing that different sports people use different niche things to relax themselves at what should be a really stressful moment yeah and again it is so unique um to each player you know what you need for for that for that match and again i'm still you know finding ways to um to try and be at my best in those moments like it's not all um it's not all rosy i still learn every every week and and again you know nathan horitz our, our new spin bowling coach has been brilliant he's, he's given me a couple more techniques for for dealing with pressure and again it's been you know, mental uh, work as opposed to technical stuff. Um, so again, like I'm still learning the whole way through, and then you know you might find that those things work for you, and it also might change over time. So I guess it's you know just constantly working, trying to find new methods that that help you for for that time. The great thing is as well, there's no there's no end line for it. You don't reach a point in your career or in your life actually where you say, okay, I'm I'm mentally perfect now. You know, no one ever is perfect, so it's like it's it's one of those things that you have to be consistently working on throughout your your, your life and career with cricket. I'd imagine because you're never going to get to the end point. No, and I think like a lot of what I try and do as well is, is even writing down little bits, uh, bits and pieces. Because um, there's times when I might find a, a book where I've a few notes mm. and it kind of re-triggers something within me um, that I was doing a few years before. Mm. Um, so I've started trying to write down a little bit more of my thoughts around those kind of things and a lot of the time then when I read them sometimes it's 
positive affirmations or whatever, it, it can kind of bring me back to that moment where maybe I was playing a little bit better than I am <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, I found that's really helped me, I suppose, the last last 12 months. Yeah, I'm impressed, to be fair, Cricket Ireland, those supports, and, and as you said, the Irish Cricket Association as well. And that's the thing that, that impressed me when I was reading up on this in advance, is that they, they're seeing the player, the person behind the player. Whereas, you know, when we're watching these matches on TV, all we see is, is the player. And you sometimes can forget that all these people have, have, have lives. We talk, spoke about it earlier with the Leinster players. They all have family there, bits after the match, you know. And that's probably an element of it that, that we don't think about with elite sports people. Like Katie Taylor Robert as well. Like Katie yeah. Taylor to come out of, like, her face is all over the paper looking bruised and devastated. Like, that's not easy for her to deal with for somebody who's used to winning as well. Like, yeah. No. And, and look, it is, you know, I mean, it is a challenge, I think, being an athlete. Um, I think, you know, I mean, you want to be people first and athlete second. And then. You know that's how you want the, you know people to view you, and I think look, cricket Ireland and the ICA, um, you know, have that whole view, and 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 hence we have access to this, you know, Inspire Support Hub, uh, which is fantastic, and and it's a nice range of services as well. Mm. It's, you know, I mean, it is quite bespoke to, to whatever different athletes need, and um, whether it's the phone line, uh, whether it's the on, online platform, or um, or therapy if needs be. So, um, it's fantastic to have that range of services because again, you know. You're people first and an mm. athlete second, and, and it's pretty important to remember that. Mm. Absolutely. Listen, George, great to catch up. Uh, best of luck over in England as well, and uh, no doubt we'll we'll catch up again soon in the next next little while. Yes. Great to talk to you as always, George Dockerell, uh, the Irish cricketer. There, joining myself and Johnny on OTPM on this Tuesday morning at nine thirty-three a.m. with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back in the Night edition available now. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have the Coventry City and Republic of Ireland striker Shawnee Maguire joining us. Uh, so look, really looking forward to that ahead of the uh, Championship playoff final. Derek McNamara analysing the Champions Cup final from the weekend as well. Willow Callahan will bring us his updated hurling power rankings plus plenty more besides. Right now though, some highlights from Graham Hunter on the latest Vinicius Junior racism incident in Spanish football. Have a tremendous Tuesday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.